tonight on the Random Nintendo Podcast. Has subscription gaming gone too far? A new Shantae game and Prince Harry thinks Fortnite shouldn't be allowed? It took us 200 episodes to do that type of intro? How? How did we not do the local news like sizzle reel thing? I'm honestly surprised we haven't even done it jokingly. I know. That's weird. We should probably, like, just for old time's sake... Do it the normal way. Yeah, so, I, I skipped a lot of stuff, though. So. You sure did. You really highlight. Most... You highlight the like minimal, the smallest things. Well, I highlight the things that would appear on a news. Like, I don't know. That's like, true. Something as like trivial as Prince Harry thinking it Fortnite shouldn't be, be addicted. Well, you know, like a normal news broadcast, what we need to do next is introduce ourselves as the anchors. So, hello and welcome to episode two hundred of the Random Tale Podcast. I am Jason. I'm Angel. Listen to that enthusiasm. That's the type of enthusiasm you only get after 199 of these in the can. Then you spin around. What? You're supposed to spin uh, around. I, neither you. did you. Yeah, but... I mean, I did the... this is audio, so... But anyway, in case you missed the key part, this is episode 200. And I have an air horn that's not playing. There it is. <laughs> that... Yeah. 200 episodes of Rantan Podcast. Did you know... That there are actually as many episodes of the Rantana Podcast now as there are... <laughs> as there were Pokemon at some point. No. <laughs> yes. As there were Pokemon at some point. As there were... Um, as high as some kids can if, count. <laughs> listen, if you got to 200 moons in Mario Odyssey, congratulations. That's the number of episodes we now have. But no, what I was going to say is there are as many episodes of this podcast as there are micro games in the original WarioWare. Which, like, more than any other factoid we just said, I feel like is the best factoid for our show. Because it was both random and it was Nintendo. Like, that is the most obscure reference you could probably make. Um, given the milestone, we are going to be spending some time later in the show reminiscing a bit about some of our favorite moments. And uh, we're also going to have a giveaway of two $20 eShop cards for you guys to join in the celebration. So stay tuned for info on that. Uh, but all of you out there may have noticed that our episode title is not the Channel 5 News at 11, believe it or not. It's um, looking at, or sorry, looking to the future. Uh, which is kind of the opposite of what I just described, like reminiscing, talking about the past. That's, that's not what the title's about. And that's because this episode is actually really about what, where we're going next. Like not, not necessarily the podcast or the two of us, but gaming, all of us together as a whole. Like if this is Mario Party 10, we're all in the same car going space to space together. Where's gaming? That was 10, right? Yeah. Good. Where's gaming? And nine. Where's gaming taking us next? So we're going to be talking about Stadia. We're going to talk about Apple Arcade, really the rise of these like service first gaming platforms and what it means for Nintendo. Plus, uh, what's next for Nintendo itself, uh, which now includes reports of two new pieces of Switch hardware, and pretty much out of nowhere, a larger than expected commitment to VR with Labo VR. Like, it started just like this little thing, and then suddenly, like, Nintendo's going, I wouldn't say all in, but much more in than it seemed like they were going to do. It's definitely the least amount of in you could get in, because they're using cardboard. (laughs) But, they're doing it in their biggest game, so it's kind of a weird... It's like a weird thing they're doing. So we're going to talk about what that's all about. I mean, you could say like Sony went all in on VR. Yeah. No, they're going it. Yeah, they're going as in as they can with cardboard. But they're doing it with their biggest IPs, which is kind of surprising. So we're going to be – that's where the looking part of our episode comes from with looking to the future because you look in the cardboard. Anyway, timestamps as always on the blog post from under this video if you're on YouTube. If you're listening there, I call it a video, but really it's just audio. Um, but yeah, it really does feel like – I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but it really does feel like we're at – like an inflection point with this episode this milestone episode because we've been doing this since november 2011 and for the most part the industry has been on a familiar course uh you buy a game you play a game maybe you play some post-release content for that game but that but that's that that's where it ends i mean in the last few years sure it evolved a bit um 
you know, what if the game's post-release content just keeps coming, like we see with Fortnite, which Prince Harry, scandalous. Prince Harry says it's addictive. But, you know, we see it with Fortnite. We saw it with Splatoon. Splatoon has always, over the years, been our go-to games-as-service game since it first came out on Wii U, and we'd always reference that. And more recently, you know, there's been some dabbling in cloud gaming, even on Switch in Japan with things like Resident Evil 7. But still, you're paying for access to a particular game for a certain amount of time. At the end of the day, the pattern has always been, for as long as we've been doing this podcast, for as long as gaming has existed, you see a specific game, you buy a specific game in some capacity, in some medium, and then you play that specific game as a single entity in your library, and that's that. And if you listen to our last episode, you know that's what we focused on when talking about um, GDC and PAX East. Like, here's a dozen plus specific Switch games you can go play in your library once they're released. And, you know, you put it, it sounds silly to say out loud, but this is how gaming has been. You pay money console up front. Console gaming, at least. Console gaming. Because, I mean, there are like old school, like, you know, MMORPGs and stuff like that, that. Well, no, I'm saying even those are still the same deal. You are paying for a one, you are having a one in, one-to-one exchange with an individual game. How you want to think about, like, if it is a prolonged game, is it a short game, whatever. You have you are doing a thing that's only a game. Yeah, there's, like, Xbox Live or, like, Battle.net and stuff. It's, like, a service across multiple games. But you're still deciding which of those games you are playing, which of those games you are buying. Right? Oh, yeah, all right. But, but what's, what's interesting is the other side of GDC that we didn't talk about last week uh, or last episode two weeks ago is um, the delivery method of games. Because we talked about specific games, but we didn't talk about how they're brought to us and a big thing at gdc was that um the delivery message method is changing google stadia apple arcade these two big new gaming services from the two biggest tech companies in the world they completely erase the idea of game ownership and replace it with the oh so hot model of services and that weirdly is nothing like what we've ever seen in gaming before and on a general level i'm kind of curious like what do you what do you make of this like the idea of a la carte gaming because that that's where the thing that's where we're going as we hit our milestone here, like it's definitely a turning point. So what do you think? What's your take on it? Um, I don't know. It's weird because, I mean, it's something we haven't really had before. The mm-hmm. closest thing we could compare it to is the streaming services we have now for shows and movies. But yeah. it's weird because games are not like shows and movies. It's not mm-hmm. like I could binge, like, oh, I'm going to binge like all 13 final fantasies in one weekend it's like, gonna, like <laughs> by one weekend you mean five years maybe <laughs> yeah like it's, like it's gonna take a while and yeah. the older you get like the more you i guess realize like time is a very i don't know it's, it's a valuable it's a valuable commodity yeah and i don't know it's easy to do i guess it's easier to do tv shows i'm not saying it's easy either because mm-hmm. there's also so many streaming services so many different ones like between hbo now and Crunchyroll and Netflix and Hulu and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I hate having to like. I hate having everything spread out. Which, just wait. Which is like one of the downsides of having like a video games going in this direction. Yeah. But. But just wait. All know. those, all but those, it, all those streaming services will be bundled together, and they'll call it cable. But then at the same time, it's like. I don't know. I guess I'm not too big of a fan of it because, especially especially for games, less so with TV shows because yeah. you could do other stuff while watching a show if you're not that invested or if you're just kind of invested. Or if it's a comedy, I tend to do that with comedies. Mm-hmm. But with games, I you typically want to take your time with them, whatever that ends up meaning. Like, I mean, if yeah. you're speed, if you play a game for speed running, taking your time with it means you're just playing it for years and years and years, like just not anything else. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. It's interesting, right? I'd rather 
I like having my games. I like having some games digitally, but not as part of a streaming service. Yeah, it's it because the digital thing's an interesting point because like every time we discuss this idea of gaming, I kind of said maybe bite sized games. I don't know, like the only like streaming service. I don't know. It would almost have to go on a company by company basis or even a genre basis, because it's like I could maybe do um, like a visual novel game streaming service, like games like. Ace well, it's Attorney. almost like back at television shows. Yeah, so which like, is or, why you feel yeah, more comfortable. Or, or, with or it. like Telltale or stuff like that. Because Narrative like, driven. Yeah. Yeah, because those kind of games like they go at a at a set pace. Like mm-hmm. the pace is literally set by the game most of the time, and. Yeah, all the other games that like, you're probably gonna just want to play longer. You're gonna I feel like a lot of games in the service are just gonna go to waste. The only other service, the only other time it could ever work, I feel, and this is excluding like new games. Yeah, it's just like for retro consoles and stuff like that. Like the NES online yeah. stuff on Switch. Like those are the only ones where I would be like okay with it because it's like all right, cool. I played most of these. Maybe hit a few that I never got to, but yeah, that's you raised an interesting point about narrative driven games possibly working on streaming service because that is happening it's coming from the other direction like stuff like uh, Black Mirror Bandersnatch that is a game yeah. it has a lot, it's a full motion video game like from, 19, like from Night Trap back in the day or something. it's that sort of game but it is a game and they're doing it again with uh, Bear Gillis now they're doing I think it's Bear Gillis they're doing a, uh, a, a show yeah, where you but... pick how he survives he can never die spoiler it's, it's actually not really going to make a difference but um yeah, like it, it's funny that the TV streaming services are coming more towards games than games are going towards TV. Yeah, yeah. But you you also made a point that I thought was kind of interesting, where you're saying it doesn't matter if it's digital or physical. You just like just owning it, and I think that's a very interesting point because like every time we discuss the idea of gaming in the cloud or game streaming or something like that, you know, like it, it first came up from the show with Resident Evil Seven coming to Switch in Japan. More recently, it's with the Game Pass rumors of Xbox Game Pass coming to Switch. Um, my sticking point has always been. I don't like the idea of a game being hosted somewhere else with you having zero control over ownership. Like, I'm a big proponent of having an actual game library. I mean, you, Angel Baron, anyone know my obsession with having physical copies over digital. But uh, but even if we're talking digital, like you were saying, you still have the game. As long as your hardware is working, you have a way to play it. Be it tomorrow, be it 10 years from now, you can still play it. And that means you can share it with other people you can preserve it however you want you can do whatever you want you can give it to someone and they can have it forever like it's your game you do with it what you want on your terms and my concern with subscription services is as of right now um even if a game subscription service comes along meaning yeah you still have ways to physically own a game digitally own a game but or you can get a subscription what happens when they grow so massive that they fully replace the idea of game ownership? Like in the same way that streaming music is starting to eclipse music purchases to the point that Best Buy no longer sells music. Or that, you know, like Netflix can drop a movie or a show and you have no way of actually owning it. You only can stream it on Netflix. Like sometimes they'll release Blu-rays years later, but sometimes they won't. And then what? how do you ever like have that piece of content for yourself? Like have it. And uh, I, I have like kind of a weird example, but it's been an annoying issue for me already with things like Kanye because I have every physical Kanye album up until The Life of Pablo, which came out, I don't know, four or five years ago. And um, I don't have Life of Pablo because he just never made a physical version of Life of Pablo. So I have this oddly incomplete collection of all his CDs up till Pablo. And in 10 years, if there's some clearance issue with one of the songs or whatever, it's gone. I will never hear that song legally again that's weird like with games i can still buy how i want what i want when i want but if streaming does take off can i have a life of pablo situation with a game 
could there be a game that you know like let's say Tetris 99 and then the Tetris company pulls the rights from Nintendo they have jumped those rights to like every publisher Ubisoft had Sega had Nintendo had hypothetically if they're like we don't want you to have the rights to Tetris 99 like to Tetris anymore does that mean Tetris 99 disappears from the service because that's what happens with movies that's what Disney Plus is doing like they're pulling all the stuff off the other stuff. like literally Simpsons. Netflix every month yeah all the stuff yeah exactly stuff and it's in. like is that gaming is that what happens I feel like like I feel like there's a medium but, where well, everyone I guess I'm not finishing Rugrats right I mean that's literally what happens but, yeah. yeah but I, and it's like every medium people have their like thing where they're like I like having some sort of ownership to it for me it's games for you I feel like it's movies more like I don't care about owning a movie I don't care about seeing a movie more than once but I imagine all the stuff with Disney Plus and them doing away with the vault and whatnot kind yeah. of clashes with your collecting of the animated movies yeah because I love having a digital library of movies but only if I still have a physical copy of the movie which is nice because I would say like 100% of movies come with a digital code mm-hmm. I mean it does gaming I can see why they don't do that right but at least with movies it's so it's standard practice I still have my physical copy I could see whenever and for convenience I have my digital ones so I could conveniently watch it or for whatever now. for now for now but even then, I still have my physical one. For now. What happens when they start not releasing physical copies of their newer anime? I mean, you only collect the classic stuff, pretty much. Or no, you collect the new stuff, too. What if they go, hey, Disney Plus is really taking off? Which, by the way, $7 a month is going to take off. That's an insane price for the value. But um, it's really taking off. We don't need to release – we're talking five years down the line. We don't need to release Guardians of the Galaxy 6, directed by James Gunn's son. Uh, like, we don't need to do that. Because people just watch it on Disney Plus, and then they just so. never release it. Like, what happens then if it's an anime movie? What, what are you gonna do? It, it, like, everyone's gonna have at some level. I feel like this mm, concern. I mean, it depends. I guess it'd be like, well, I guess I'm just not getting Disney movies then. Yeah, but it's just like that sucks. I mean, right? You you, you accept it. You move on. I guess I don't. There's, there's I stuff. I rant about it every two weeks on the podcast for multiple hours, but um, it's a shame. But I mean, there's there's always something else. This is so, like, adult response. You're like, well, if they're not going to support my hobby, that's fine. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, yeah, obviously, can't, I, I, I mean, mean, there's no point saying you're bickering about it. I'm just saying, yeah, like, I mean, the, 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 the knee-jerk reaction would be to be like, ah, like, oh, that sucks. Like, I, I love my picks. I love my blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But at the same time, there are so many, like, I mean, the more and more, like, I get involved with animation, the more and more I learn how there's, like, so many other, like, great studios and great things that I just never get around to that. I've never seen their libraries, whether they be yeah. foreign or other parts of the other parts of the u.s and maybe by not having disney around in my rotation or at least like any of the future stuff i can finally get to you know expand that repertoire a little kind of like how i did with some indie stuff or even like expanding my genres like mm-hmm. getting more into horror stuff right it's like there's all these things like i never knew i really really loved that i'm like wow i could have been a huge horror buff had i given this a chance many years earlier but i didn't because i was i had disney tunnel vision right so yes, you did. <laughs> so it could be a good thing. But okay, so you actually you actually raise a really good point. I think about the idea that there is so much content and some content cannibalizes. There's almost too much content. It's and, literally... Yeah, and some can- content will cannibalize other content, and that that's I mean, arguably that's the biggest selling point of a subscription service, right? Like you can get all that at your fingertips, all the games in this case, and you could jump into a game and at any time and play it, no matter how big or small its release is, and yada yada. But like kind of to your point like well one thing cannibalizes another with that much accessibility like how do games rise to the top because none of these services are out yet right but let's say they take off let's say they blow up unlike well even yeah even like movies like will there be ways 
down the line. Would it ever the replace the theater? Huh? Would it ever replace the theater? I mean, hypothetically, their movie theaters are struggling. Yeah, That's why they're yeah, all doing this. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying like ticket sales are like going down. Yeah. Like, it's kind of down the road where like maybe in ten years, like we might not see that many. It might be like a very exclusive thing. Yeah, where it's only like it's literally just a premiere, kind of like how they do for Netflix. Yeah, and what like, happens when just... that happens with games? Because it's not like you like have a communal place. I mean, <laughs> what's, you do... the, what's the equivalent for games? I don't like the idea of like you can download the game. What if it's like no? The only way you get the game is through a service. Oh, I see. like what happens? Because then you're stuck, and then the problem—the only people that, that get to download it are the people that are like they and, get the review yeah. copies, I guess. Yeah, and here and here's or like you know download it for offline play when you're on an airplane or whatever. And here's the problem with that: that like, they're like go buy it in stores this week. It's like go play when it's available for Dude, you. GameStop, <laughs> GameStop announced they are down some crazy like six hundred million dollars or something. Now part of that's due to an uh, a financial asset thing they're going through, but part of it's their sales are down. They're turning into a toy star store because no one's buying physical games anymore. Like GameStop, I tweeted yeah, this the other week. They're literally fusing with ThinkGeek. Yeah, yeah, basically. And GameStop, I, I made a joke the other week, but we're gonna get to the point. You know how there's all those articles about like the last blockbuster in the world. We're gonna get to that point with GameStop in like ten years. Well, no, like, I mean, when I was in San Francisco, I went to a GameStop where the first floor was the GameStop, and it was a pretty small GameStop. But then yeah. you go downstairs, and it's like twice the size, and it's yeah. and it's just a ThinkGeek. It's crazy yeah like that's the way things are moving i mean sony a weird obsession just, with conan merchandise but i don't understand the conan thing as a conan brian fan i love it i don't at all understand it like why is he in gamestop clueless gamer i guess i guess but but the point i'm gonna make is besides that like stores are going away i mean playstation just pulled you can no longer you know how with like the switch you can go buy a digital card that gives you a code to download specific games you can still like shop for games at physical stores but it's just a download code for that game. Yeah. You can't do that with PlayStation anymore. They pulled it from all the stores. The only thing you can buy for PlayStation Network now is a flat, like, gift card. That's it. Well, so, like, it's already happening. This they also pulled this a few months movie. ago free PS3 games from PlayStation Plus. Not as big of a deal, but, you know. And that goes to the point of, like, you don't own anything. So what if that was your only way to get to those games? And they're gone. Yeah. But the, the, the problem is, let's say, like, again, kind of going back to your whole... Um, idea of there's too much content let's say it, the streaming service is the only way to get to this stuff right like how do games rise to the top at that point with that much accessibility with all the games in one place how do they bubble up so to speak because like we're already seeing problems with that like none of the services are out but i feel like at the apple arcade announcement stuff already got buried did you know i mean you know because you follow it but way forward announced at the at, in the apple sizzle reel that they're making chante 5 which on its own, especially in the Nintendo world, is a pretty big deal. It's a pretty cool game. It's a popular franchise. But in the midst of reveals of a game by like the Final Fantasy creator, uh, you know they got Sakaguchi to make a game for Apple Arcade, and then they got where they announced that Will Wright is making a game exclusively for Apple Arcade. He's the you know the Sims and SimCity and all that, and um, Spore. <laughs> of all Thank things. you. You're welcome. And then on top of that, they had like all these surprise sequels, like Beneath a Steel Sky, which is a huge cult thing. That's getting a sequel, which also separately is coming to Switch. But, you know, between all that, there's just like, oh, hey, there's there's a Shantae game. Isn't that cool? But no one really noticed. Like, if, you know you know it was buried when WayForward later that day from both their official account and some of their developers' individual accounts had to be like, hey, we announced a new Shantae earlier. Like, did, did you see it? Like, reminder, we, we did this. That's how I found out. <laughs> exactly. That's the problem. And, like, just imagine how much worse of a situation that will be when all these massive blockbuster games are on the same service alongside these tiny indie projects. Like, discoverability on something like this is going to matter probably more than ever. Oof. 
But subscription services take away a huge differentiator, which is like how you go about finding games by price. Because right now, you know, if you have 20 bucks, you're like, oh, I'm going to look for games that are like 20 or less. That's a lot of indie games, so I'll be browsing that. If you have 60 bucks, maybe a lot of people it will does, steer more toward big blockbusters. Yeah, it does kind of put them on the same unfortunate playing field. But yeah. it, no, actually, no, a better wording for it would be it put them on the same battleground. They're in the same bucket. Yeah. Or battleground. Ooh, it's a battle royale between the non-battle royales and the battle royales. Yeah, because like... <laughs> I mean, nowadays, I mean, at least right now, yeah. to your point, you could say, like, all right, like, this is a shorter game. It's like an indie game, so it does feel like a $10 game. Like, when you buy it and you play it, you don't really feel gyp, sometimes based on the price. Yeah. But on the streaming service, I guess they're going to have to sort it by length. That's the I length don't, of gameplay. I don't really know. And but then it's also, like, some games can arguably be, like, $60 games that are only, like, 8 to 10 hours so long. So you can't really sort by If length. they're really, really good. Yeah. But... You know, it's not like it's, you have to sort by production value, but that like belittles the games that are cheaper. Because yeah, a lot of indies we talked about before, you know, they have less limited production. Yeah, op- and then how budgets? So yeah, and then there's games like um like the end is not who I mean debatably has less production value than let's say I don't know Breath of the Wild. Yeah, but debatably probably has as much gameplay as that game if you factor in how much time you're gonna be playing it because of how difficult it is. Right. So, so like how you even measure that. That's what's Yeah, weird. so like at that point it, yeah, I guess like And like like think about it. Give me games in Unreal that use Unreal. Yeah, like give me games, a, that, give use me games that use Unity. Yeah. I need games that use the Ubi Art engine, which would be like five. But it's just like, and me, just where's Frostbite? Me, where's my Frostbite? Where are all the I, I broken guess, I guess Frostbite? You go to, I guess you could have the big name developers, but then you go like give me indie and then it's just literally Everything. Like thousands and thousands yeah, of games. And and like honestly, even just think about like if you're if you're a casual gamer or a twelve year old kid and you're going into your game subscription service and, you know, why are the odds you going to seek out Shantae and play that on the same monthly subscription that gives you Call of Duty, Assassin's Creed, even like a Crash Bandicoot remake? Like, those are going to draw attention for a lot of people that aren't as, like, well-versed or as deep into the gaming world. And, like, imagine if you aren't even as big as Way Forward, if your game's smaller than Shantae. You know, maybe maybe it's a new IP and you're a new studio. It's going to be really hard to break through. And I honestly think the issue of, uh, like, this idea of discoverability and how it's going to work in a streaming service is probably the biggest differentiator between what we're seeing with Apple Arcade and what we're seeing with Google's uh, Stadia. And and this actually kind of makes a good opportunity to talk Stadia a little bit about Stadia Arcadia? Stadia Arcadia. I do like that it's called Stadia. A lot of people thought the name was dumb, but that's a single stadium, or that's plural for stadium or something. It, it's related to the word stadium, and the idea is it hooks into YouTube, so a lot of people are watching you, so it's like you're in an arena. Like, I get it. It's kind of a cool name. But we never really had a chance to talk about, like, the actual new announcements of these services because they don't – they aren't Nintendo, but they will directly influence what happens to Nintendo in the long term. So this is probably a good opportunity to kind of dive into the pros and cons of each. How will Nintendo react 10 years from now when they finally what get around Nintendo to it? What will Nintendo do? And doing it in their own really weird and obnoxious where way. Where if you want to if you want to use the service, you first have to log in from your phone – and then you have to high five a virtual Mario in your hologram headset, and, and people only will then, love that. and only yeah. then do they give you a cardboard that you build to access the streaming service. People will say stuff like, "I, lo- I love this about Nintendo. They found a very quick way to like almost interact with Mario. Something that a lot of companies are being very distant about." But you something. know what they'll still complain about? Friend codes and lack of voice chat. Oh. <laughs> Those are constant. <laughs> the friend codes have tripled in length. The, fr- the friend codes are now the length of pie. They're barcodes. It's, it's, however many digits you can fit into three point. You just keep going like pie and hope for the best. 
But uh, no, well, we should. Yeah, the serial number for the console, I guess, because I'm assuming yeah. you still have a console. Yeah, your, your friend code. Well, they won't have a console if it's streaming. You'll have to be the serial. You'll have to order a special dog tag from Nintendo that's sent to you, and on that dog tag will be an individual uh, person number. Because you know we don't want to say it's a serial number for a person. Nah, it'll be at it's least a like personal identification. It's a pin. It's a personal identification. It'll be like number. twenty or thirty years before Nintendo doesn't have a console and just. Has a yeah, no, you're service. totally right. Although they have said they're open to the idea. I can't remember where, but in some Japanese newspaper a couple months ago, they were saying, you know, maybe maybe they were in a post-console future. Some people interpret that to mean they're going to jump to other consoles, but it means they're looking beyond the idea of a console. So, mm. who knows? But in the meantime, we have Stadia, we have Apple Arcade. They perfected Google Glasses or Google could Contacts. You, could you imagine if somehow Nintendo came up with the actual AR eyewear that we all use? Mm. Have Samus's interface UI when you're walking around, or Legend of Zelda UI. Yeah, it's like driving down the street. Why not have some banana peels? <laughs> like, uh, no. But um, yeah, Stadia. In the meantime, is the, probably the most ambitious we're gonna see from these streaming services before Nintendo goes full AR. And um, I think it's simply because it's on the cloud. Like the the that alone opens up all sorts of, at least to me, interesting approaches to discoverability. Really centered around like the fact that you can launch right into a game without needing to install it or download it or anything. Like Google was showing off these features like being able to queue up to play your favorite streamer at the click of a button you know you're on their channel you press a button you're you're playing them in the next match if there's not a lot of people watching or you're waiting to play or you know if you're watching a trailer you can launch into that specific segment of the game from the trailer you press a button five seconds later there you are and it basically it's interesting because it basically offloads a lot of the idea of discoverability to the general internet like kind of the same way you interact with people now forums social media whatever now it's just a click away from not just like learning about the game but immediately playing the game which you know for big games that's not that big of a deal but if someone's like on twitter like hey look at this cool game i discovered this little indie game and you click the link and it's a youtube trailer and you're like this is cool looking you press it you're in that is pretty cool like that's a cool way to get people to try out new games and technology wise like stadia actually has a lot of neat stuff in it like I like the idea of split screen in a game where each split of the screen is a separate Stadia server, so you can actually do totally different things with fully optimized experiences and not have to like worry about well, can the console handle it? Like that's kind of nice. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Or how about like um, the fact that since everything runs server side, it removes a lot of cheating and hacking potential. Obviously, you can do stuff like weird macros, or you can have um, you know like a pixel based aimbot or something. But a lot of what like the Splatoon players have to deal with online is just null is no longer a thing so that's kind of cool um there's even like now i think about like smaller stuff like the fact that you can if you want to stream your game and you're using stadia you can send the stream directly to youtube like you don't have to worry about the stream cannibalizing your own connection you don't have to be doing down and up like we tried when we did our uh smash stream last november and it really bogged down online play like that's a non-issue because like nintendo they don't have a, any way to stream, so you're just kind of using the same device as your hub, but Google can be like, hey, it's on our server. We'll just fork the connection. It's fine. It's like there is cool stuff that Stadia does. Don't get me wrong. The problem, though, is that I think the exact same thing that makes all these ideas possible is also the biggest downfall, which is the cloud, because uh, at the end of the day, it all comes down to latency, and on the surface, everything about Stadia sounds great. You know, it reduces friction it takes to get into a game. That's a good way to increase the number of players overall for little games, big games, whatever. But if the game stutters whatsoever, it's over. People aren't going to do it. And I mean, I was watching Google's live stream of their conference for Stadia. That was stuttering. That had issues where it was rewinding itself two seconds every so often. That's just a video. Like, I, that doesn't give me much confidence about how, like, Stadia as a, as a game service will do, you know? And, um, 
Google just went on and on about like how good their infrastructure is, but that doesn't matter unless yours is good too, which they never really touched on. And what I thought was kind of funny is that like almost all the hands-on impressions that I read about the service from GDC, like Game Informer and all those sites, they you could sum them up as well, it's not unplayable, which is like well, there was one video somewhere like you literally see the guy hammering away at the jump button, mm-hmm. and like about two seconds later it jumps. But yeah, I, I yeah, mean, uh, like those, like I saw that too. But like yeah. Game Informer, them got private demos where the connection's a little more stable. Yeah. But the fact that the best of semesters is not unplayable is kind of like that's a weird. It's a very low bar considering right now games are at their most playable. They are at peak playable because they're on dedicated consoles. So to just be like, well, I mean, it's serviceable. It's like, but we already have better than serviceable. Why would you downgrade to serviceable? It does. It doesn't make sense. I mean, maybe if you're a casual gamer, I can see the logic. Like. Gang of Stay a subscription, you know, you don't have to spend hundred dollars on a new console. But then when you factor in whatever the cost is for the subscription, which Google didn't even announce, so who knows what it will be. You know, you factor that in, you factor in potentially buying one of the Stadia controllers, which has some cool things. Like I like the idea that it connects directly via Wi Fi to the server. So as you go device to device, you don't have to sync the controller and it minimizes some latency because it's not routing through a separate device, it's just instant. Like that's cool. But factor in, you know, the Stadia subscription, the controller price. Um, any changes to your internet bill from the huge amount of data you're going to be now sending back and forth. Like, is it that much cheaper with all said and done? Probably not. So, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess to be and fair 4K to... 4K gaming, I guess, would yeah, be a like, lot. Yeah, they're saying they'll, you'll be able to do it with 25 down, but will, will you? Will it be 4K? Will it be HDR? Will it be 60 frames? I, I don't know. Um, and, and to be fair, Stadia and really cloud gaming in general, it is possible to overlook some of these things. Like, I feel like Game Pass is going to encounter the same issues, but because it means entirely new experiences for those who use the service, you know, like Xbox games on Switch, hypothetically, if that rumor comes true, like, it seems like people are willing to look past some of the downsides. The problem with Stadia is that if Google is going to spend an hour presenting the technology backbone of the service, which they did, and honestly, they could have done a five-minute pre-recorded video and achieved the exact same goal, probably had more information even, Uh, but if they're going to do this hour-long thing, of course the only response would be for everyone to focus on the pitfalls of the technology. There is nothing selling you on the, on, on the service, really. It's just like, hey, here's what it can do if it works. And you can tell that like they have Phil Harrison and they have all these big-name game industry folks working behind the scenes, but like you can tell Google is still new to gaming. You can tell they don't get it because maybe it's just me. I'm kind of curious what you think about this, actually, because you, you sort of followed it a little, right, when it was announced. But I found it incredibly weird that they launched an entirely new game platform the world's first streaming game platform without any um games at all they had two multi-platform releases and get assassin's creed but that was already you could do that in your chrome browser last october so really they had one announcement which was doom eternal which is also coming to every other system like that's not how you sell a that's not how you sell a platform like they should have taken a cue from someone like Nintendo. You don't tell, you show. Like, look at when the DS and the Wii were revealed. All that then new... I'm sure we're talking about the same Nintendo that showed off Metroid Prime 4. What? But even but even then, they announced an exclusive big game. Like, I know, Google I know. couldn't even do that. <laughs> but, like, look at, like, what Nintendo did with, like... If we're talking about, like, fancy new technology, look at what Nintendo did with the Wii and DS when they first revealed those. Like, that was super weird technology. You never thought about how does that work with gaming. And they're like, well, here's some games that show you how it does. And that's... And, and that worked and they sh- and you know they showed off the potential by listing off all these big name developers and publishers making games for the platforms which demonstrates excitement within the dev community and to be fair 
Google did that. They had a list of names on the on the screen. But Nintendo also, kind of to your metric point, four point, they also showed it by announcing exclusives from those companies that demonstrate why, if you like games, you need to buy whatever system Nintendo was pitching. Google did not do that at all. They're just like, yeah, Sega. Their name on the board. Oh, so is Konami. What are they doing? Uh But check it out. The games you play over there, you can play over here. Isn't that kind of neat? It's just like, what does that achieve? Sound like a dad. Yeah, right? That's kind of, yeah, that's kind of, because they did have, they definitely came in kind of like the, hey, we get gaming. Like, that, that's lit, isn't it? Yeah, like, hello, fellow kids. No, but like, seriously, like, yeet, yeet. They, yeah, like, they had, they had on the back of their controllers the Konami code. Which is, like, on one hand, like, oh, that's kind of cool. But I'm also like, that's the most, like, what do gamers like? Oh, you know the Konami code? They all know that. What if we stuck it on our controller? We get gamers. I mean, I think the best example is to, like, they sound like a dad, is, um, well, you saw it at GDC, didn't you? Their, their setup for Stadia, where it was, like, a display, and it was all, like it's like, if you tr- gaming? Yeah, except they called it, like, you, it, it, like the heading on it, or like, the thing on it was, like, you, you know, if you set your mind to it, you can do anything or something like that. And it was like the power. <laughs> yes, you can. You two can be a failure. <laughs> no, but yeah, that's the thing. Because they're like, oh, look at these, look at this. And it was like uh, the power glove. And what else was it? Like et, ET and, and like. Dreamcast. And I don't. I in the Dreamcast. Yeah, and I don't know if it was supposed to be tongue in cheek or what, but like it definitely gave off a hello, fellow kids, like vibe as well. And it, it was very weird. And um, <laughs> I mean, the message to me was like, guess what? Like video games' biggest disappointment will be Stadia. <laughs> But you know what I actually find most telling is Google, like, didn't just act like a dad that was trying to be cool and didn't just not announce games. They instead were focusing on discussing not just, like, the technology behind it, but they spent a ton of time walking through how vertically integrated this entire service will be for Google. Like, how their servers and YouTube and Google Assistant and Google the player. Docs, it's and the, Yeah, exactly. And, like, the developer and the streamer, they all exist in this beautiful Google Harmony where Google controls every facet of the experience. You, you play the game on their server. Want to listen to your you, tunes? Google Play is built right in. Exactly, yeah. You can play any song from millions to choose from with Google Play Music. But, no, like, seriously, think about it. You play the game on their server. You learn about the games through their video service. You chat and stream with other players that use their that use the platform on their video service. You as a developer, you're gonna to wanna to promote your game on their video service because that's where the instant play button will be. Everything about Stadia is about Google's like network of things. Like to to bring it back to the initial point about like Stadia's unique approach to discoverability that I was trying to make, because it's all Google, 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 everything you're doing is Google. What they're able to do is essentially offload the work of game creation, uh, curation, I was like creation, game curation to YouTubers. And they, at the same time, they're still able to keep their whole ecosystem locked down from top to bottom. Because, like, right now, you find out about a lot of games through, like, Twitch, right? Like, oh, Apex Legends is really popular because there it is on Twitch, rising up the charts. Or there's this weird little game I've never heard of that's blowing up on Twitch. What's this Fortnite? Isn't that a Shakespearean word? Oh, it's a popular game. Okay. Like, that's how you find that stuff out. Google's saying, sure, you can do that, but you're doing it within our ecosystem. And from Google's perspective, to be fair to Google, it's actually kind of genius. Like, think about it. Your customers are no longer just the players of the game. They're also the developers of the game. You're making money off every monthly subscription, and you're deciding how much money to give each developer. Like, all you need to do is promise to keep the lights on for them. That's minimal overhead for you as the owner of a bajillion servers around the world. And, like, in Google's case, not only that, but you're also making money from every ad that runs before a developer's trailer on YouTube, before every streamer's live stream. The structure of stadia 
is such that you can essentially triple dip on every single piece of content and monetize it three different ways and make a ton of money. And if you think about Stadia that way, it's like, well, no wonder Google's doing this. And no wonder they didn't focus on the games. Because for them, as a technology company, and a company that always gets such a degree, yeah, for them, it's about like, we're going to own the experience from start to finish. And that's crazy. Like, that's so different from how gaming has been. It's really wild. And I think that whole idea of like a fully integrated vertical platform to get real businessy, I think that's why Apple's probably jumping in with Apple Arcade, too. Like, they can say it's because they want to give indies a fighting chance against the big, bad, free-to-play monster that they themselves created. But um, let's be real here. This is just another opportunity for to boost revenue for Apple. Like, I'm not faulting Apple for doing this. As a company, obviously, they're in it to make money. But it's sort of like Google. They are having the players be the customer that pay them monthly and the developers be the customer by making them games that they then monetize themselves instead of just passing it to the player. It's 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 interesting. And... Like, based on their current App Store curation, I think they'll do a decent job of elevating some, like, lesser-known games into the spotlight. Uh, they also have a major advantage over Stadia in that you don't need to be connected to the internet to play any of the games. You can download them for offline play. Like, I would to say... your computer, I guess? It's your iPad, iPhone, or Apple TV. And, yeah, and your Mac. Yeah. Um, but the, the bone I have to pick with Apple Arcade... Well, first of all, before we go too deep into Apple Arcade... What do you do? You have any thoughts about Stadia? Like one way or another, beyond my my little ramble about how Google's secretly this crazy smart like capitalist behemoth. Um, potentially scary, but overall, it's like an easy path for me. As far as like, am I gonna jump into it? Yeah, do that's I have any I interest in getting it? It's like no, I don't really feel any reason to get it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because they, they have no, pr- I mean, they have nothing to entice yeah, you. Because I mean, <laughs> it's weird. As, as much as everything they have going for them, like you said, like they don't really need to announce any games. Yeah, we still need games to get us over there. So, and that—that's yeah. honestly its Pretty biggest down. <laughs> that's its biggest downfall is if they don't have games that convince people to get on the service. Yeah, it's like none we, of this matters <laughs> if they don't have games that will we're get people really good in. where we are right now. Yeah, basically, it's like I got my Resident Evil, I got my my Mario's, my Smash, my God of Wars, like. It wouldn't be a 200th episode without you figuring out a way to sneak in Resident Evil and God of War and Smash Bros. And I, and you did it all in one sentence. I am impressed. But yeah, like, I mean, yeah. why move? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. But um, And the, thing, the nice thing about like Apple Arcade is it's not really those sorts of games. It's like the mobile games, and those are a bit different. But yeah, And most of the stuff announced for Apple Arcade, at least some of the stuff, it's, it's like coming, also available on Switch. Yeah, so. it's kind of Switch too. But I do have a major bone to pick with Apple Arcade. And Disney I, Plus is coming to Switch. What is not that even Disney Plus, like everything's coming. Through. So okay, I'm okay. Internet, you fake news. I never thought I'd get to say this. You are fake news. You, you mm-hmm. Angel, are fake news. Mm-hmm. Disney Plus is not coming to Switch. I was watching the live stream. I saw the slide and I saw the internet misinterpret it. Disney Plus is coming to game consoles. Q slide of consoles they would like to see it on. It is confirmed, and they have a deal already in place for PS4 and Roku TV. That is it. They put up what they would like to achieve, including Chromecast and everything, but they never named it by name. They just said game consoles and streaming boxes and dongles, but they didn't call them dongles because dongles is a funny word. Uh, but they basically said the only two we've actually secured thus far are PS4 and Roku. Now, will it come to Switch? Probably. I can't see Nintendo being like, Disney? No, thank you. I mean, Hulu's already But yeah, it. Hulu's there, YouTube's there. I'm sure it will come there. The fact that Disney said, hey... We're going to bring our thing. We want to bring our thing to this platform that we're not going to say by name, but it's pictured on our slide. Is already way more than what Netflix did with their service for the last two years on Switch, which is non existent. 
Um, but yeah, Disney did not actually confirm it. They just said they are hoping to achieve it. And a lot of the internet got that wrong. Fine, I'm afraid that it's more than likely coming to Switch. Yeah. No, I wasn't trying to like call you out. It's just like oh, so much on the internet got wrong that I just felt like since I actually watched it, I was like, let me set the record straight. Because, yeah, I saw Nintendo deals or one of those Twitter accounts immediately post. I'm like, it's not quite right, but okay. Not to call them out either. Like, you know, people it, – it's a picture of a Switch on a Disney slide. Of course that's how it's going to be interpreted. That was Disney's fault for not specifying. But anyway. Yeah. Anyway, what was I talking about? App Arcade. Um, yeah, the, the I think there is one major bone I have to pick with App Arcade. I think it highlights – Probably another major problem with the a la carte gaming service, and that in general, like the concept, and that's how are developers going to be paid? Um, now, to be clear, what I'm about to say is not 100% confirmed. For all we know, Stadia will take a similar approach too, so it may not just be Apple's. So I'm not saying it's Apple's fault per se, but according to Bloomberg, Apple plans to pay out developers based on the amount of time people play their games. Let me, let me say that again because it's so insane. Developers who are part of app, the Apple Arcade program will get money not for their games being included in the service, but based on how many people play the game and for how long those people actively engage with the game. Mm. That's that's insane. That's not good. That's like <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> yeah, that that's the same. That's literally what killed animation for a while on YouTube because it went from views, which was good for animation because, yep. you know, you put a lot of work into something and a lot of people want to watch it. Mm-hmm. Then it went to retention time, which is like retention time and quantity. And then it's like, well, it takes like about a month to do like a three minute animation versus someone that's just doing like a 20 minute long let's play that could postpone out every single day. Yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden the algorithm screws you. That's it. And here's where I think it's going to happen with the gaming side. It's going to be kind of like a similar scenario. But some I think people, yeah, some smaller studios are just going to they're just going to disappear. Yeah. And not only will d- studios disappear, entire genres of game will disappear. Of games will disappear. Like think about it. It's like they're going to like it's going to be like it's going to force homogeneity within the Apple uh, service in general or any service that does oh, that. God, because, we're going to get like, so many games with so much padding. Yeah. Well, not just that, but like any yeah exactly. <laughs> RPGs are going to do amazing. Anything with a grind is going to do great. Anything that's yeah, multiplayer like, oriented is going to do great. Narrative-driven games oh are going to not. J- yeah, JRPGs, jeez. Like yeah. 40 hours is like the minimum like, to usually to beat the game. Yeah, exactly. But like narrative games, which you were saying, are the one thing you think makes sense on a platform like this. They're going to go out the window. Uh, Shorter single-player fare, that's going to go out the window. Pretty um, multiplayer stuff, because that stuff usually gets you to like thousands of yeah. hours. It's basically what we see on free-to-play right now is going to be the thing that thrives most in this, because they can use the exact same like psychology hooks the same addiction hooks for lack of a better term i mean like this is where the prince harry thing comes in that we teased that, that you newscaster teased at the top like just the other day i find, I find that this happened because just the other day prince harry over in the uk was saying that Fortnite should be banned because it creates an addiction and he's complaining it's irresponsible parents and they shouldn't let their kids play it and da 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 and obviously that is a very extreme and very hot take that's very wrong i don't think either of us would agree with that like you should ban the game but his underlying point is that games... Is that why a newspaper came up the other day? Well, a picture of an old newspaper that says, what is radio doing to your children? Probably. That's probably what it's a reference to. But mm. I will admit, like, the underlying point he's trying to make, that games take advantage of known, like, addiction triggers, for lack of a better way to put it, that's true. Like, look at free-to-play games. They literally will the go boxes. hire psychologists mm. to figure out how they can adapt casino-level addiction techniques into their games yeah aren't loot boxes banned in some loot places? boxes are yeah. banned in Belgium completely yeah yeah like it's a real thing and he's saying an actual legit point he just is saying it in the worst possible way um 
But the problem is, like, what's stopping a developer from doing that in the in the service? Granted, you're not necessarily losing as much money as an individual player, but all the same, like, dumb little psychology tricks are being used. They're still trying to hook you on their game and not just present a fun experience, you know? So it's still... It just seems like it's such a bad idea to make it based on, you know, based on playtime. And I'll, I'll admit, like, I'm being a little dramatic here. Like, even if this is honestly something that happens, it's not like every game in free-to-play land is bad. Like, the paradigm in, of a free-to-play game doesn't mean it's inherently bad. I mean, obviously, my favorite mobile game, Pokemon Go, that's been free-to-play since day one. It just, I saw the other day... um, hit over a billion downloads worldwide and 2.5 billion in revenue and that doesn't use any of those psychology tricks really like it offers a unique experience it does it well there will be games like that on, on streaming services i'm sure and like likewise i mean you've been playing brawl stars a lot has that been sucking your money away like none you, of it right so like well, well how, how did brawl stars even work what do you even do i don't even know i just know it's really big right now and you've been hooked on it for weeks yeah i got into it because a friend of mine got me into it that's usually how it starts <laughs> It sounds like you're describing cocaine, but please continue. <laughs> I don't know. It's just very addicting and fun how simple the concept is. I mean, it's mm-hmm. a, it's pretty much like any fighting game, like or any yeah. You know, it's, it's you could think of it as a it's an arena battle game. I yeah. think you call it that. And um, I follow the. I guess we'll say like gem battles, like the core the core game. That's like the game you probably spend the most time playing, and essentially. Each team is tasked to hold at most ten gems at once. Before, well, I'm, I'm like butchering it. All right, so in the center of the stage, you've only, little... done, you've only done these descriptions like 199. I know, times. yeah, 200. I'm, I know, it's, it's yeah, tricky. Well, yeah, well, I've never really played a game <laughs> like with this kind of like setup, so it's sure, weird. yeah. But essentially, there's like a little shoot in the middle that spews out a gem like every like 20, like every 10 seconds. And it's first, like a top-down sort of yeah, layout, yeah, right? it's a t- yeah, it's a top-down perspective, three versus three. And after one team collects ten, a 15-second countdown begins, and the other team has to try to just, like, you know, destroy the opposing team's players that are holding the gems so that they could... Does this Splatoon basically have a mode like this? It's similar to Splatoon. Yeah. Well, no, not really. Actually. I mean, it's not, it's not like one-to-one, but, like, it reminds me of Splatoon. Three-on-three... Well, Splatoon is not really three on three. It's like six on. It's definitely. Oh, wait, is it? No, it's four on four. Oh, it's four on four. Yeah, that's close yeah. enough. But yeah, essentially, like when you grab a gem, you're carrying the gem. So when you get so when you get killed, you drop the gems on the floor. So if you're holding like eight or nine, you definitely want to you know play a little more defensively because if they kill you, you're gonna drop all those eight gems, and you're suddenly gonna put your team on the losing end, which could then trigger that countdown, and then they could just run away and you know win the game. I, and, I got a better comparison. I need to re- redeem my Nintendo fandom here it's not Splatoon it's Mario Hoops 3 on 3 because it's literally 3 on 3 yeah so that's one that's game that's how I saved myself but... <laughs> you just ignored that <laughs> yeah keep going so and I guess like to add and, and there's like different like strategies and layers to that type of game it's like you want to have maybe a more often the more offensive people like maybe stay in the back playing like keep away with the opposing team and you want to have maybe like your bigger heavier people that could take hits like be the ones that carry the gems and that's where the characters come in. There's like a bunch of different characters, and mm-hmm. you know some have a very wide range, like a fire, like to shoot something, but they don't deal as much damage. And then some have a very narrow range, or yeah, ne- yeah, narrow aim where they shoot a lot further. And then they have different speeds, different abilities. After dealing enough damage, every single one has their own like special ability. Some could heal teammates. Some could travel really fast across the map. Some could destroy obstacles. 
like pretty much how the team is set up really changes how the game goes and every match almost feels like completely different from each other and on top of that like every couple like every day the ma- every day that the maps change like the layout of the maps like some maps may have many more bushes where you can hide in them and you're completely invisible and then other days there might be almost no bushes and it might be completely open so you might not want to pick certain characters on those maps versus others and then there's also like a, a variation of soccer where that one's pretty much like hoops three on three you're playing soccer wait my my analogy that i was just trying to say face worked it is like hoops three on well three? one of the five modes good enough then good there's enough. another mode where it's kind of the same idea with bounty you have to every time you kill someone you get like an extra point that hovers over you and the more people you kill the more points you have but then if someone kills you you give that team that many points so mm-hmm. you yeah it's it not surprisingly diverse for a mobile game and then there's another mode which is probably the most like in depth where each team has like their own gigantic turret on opposite ends with their own health and the goal is to destroy that turret but if you get anywhere near that turret you get blown up like instantly by the turret so what you have to do is collect bolts in the middle of the stage and survive long enough holding the bolts so the bolts get automatically added to your turret and then after like an arbitrary amount of time it's not arbitrary it just feels like it because you're just kind of in the <laughs> middle of the fight like, after this thing that isn't the thing I just said is, but it feels like the thing I said is, but really isn't yeah because the, thing the game I is chaotic it's just know, like, yeah. like oh 10 seconds before it's a brawl so whoever Let's ends start. up collecting the most amount of bolts within that like let's say 30 seconds yeah um, a giant robot comes out from their from their turret and walks over to their turret and that robot has like a ridiculous amount of health that could handle the bullets from the turret so it's pretty much diverging all the bullets from the turret to the giant robot with bo- with that also has boxing gloves that's going to be destroying the turret while you can also you know attack that turret this is making me realize that if we were to try to describe say a nintendo game to someone who's never experienced it before it would sound just as absurd like yeah. gaming's weird when you don't have like a visual <laughs> point to work off of you know what i mean yeah it's really it's weird it's like a I don't know. Some, I guess it's kind of like tower defense, but not really. It's like real-time tower defense, I guess if you want to call it. That but, works. Yeah. And, I mean, ultimately, like, I mean, I haven't spent any money on it. You, every every time you play games online, you get, like, points. And these points, every 100 points, you get a free little loot box. The loot boxes give you more points to power up your characters. And sometimes you can unlock a character that way. And you could, in theory, like, spend money to unlock a character, but... You unlock them at a pretty brisk rate, mm-hmm. and like every, and every time you win a match, you get these trophies which fill up another meter. And there's like this, I guess, giant pathway where like every fifty trophies that you get, you unlock something, whether it's another character, a giant loot box, more points, more currency, multipliers, blah blah blah. Like you're pretty much always getting something, and it's kind of ridiculous just how like much um, uh, I don't know what the word for it is, but um. I guess positive reinforcement you get from the game just like almost for doing nothing like when you the first time you boot up the game and there's like a new mode available you tap it and then you get like 10 coins just for tapping it so they, they learn that from the casino psychologist oh yeah and I mean this is um Supercell's like third game and other games from what I know like Supercell's been, are the guys behind um, Clash, Clash of Clans yeah. um, Clash Royale and Clash of Clans is interesting because they just launched a season pass like Fortnite for it and they made 27 million dollars yeah, off like, it already yeah, like, which is like, crazy like their games have been like crazy yeah. popular and yeah. this one admittedly actually each one has been pretty different from the last and this one I don't know. I like the character designs. They're pretty well, like, all the characters are very simple, and they, every single character has a pun name. 
which is really great. I was going to ask you that. Do you think they came up with the name Brawl Stars before the game or the game before the name? Because I'm going to argue they came up with the name first and then the reason it has so many different modes is they're like, well, all of these apply and they took all the ideas. They're like, here's the name. Let's brainstorm. And they're like, they all work. Shove them all in there. And they just took everything off the whiteboard and poured it in a game. I will say it is almost kind of funny how like you have characters like Mortis who's kind of like a vampire uh-huh. dude. and then you Like have... Riga Mortis? Yeah. Yeah. And then you have a robot named Rico because his all his bullets like ricochet off the walls. But then you have a character called Crow, and he's like a crow. <laughs> <laughs> that is definitely some sort of joke in their office. Right? Yeah. What if one character is just that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I'm pretty. I the think... one that took me a while was Shelly because she fired the shotgun. But at first, I didn't really think well, too much. Sh- of... uh, uh, the yeah, shotgun shells. Shot, yeah. Shotgun shells. Yeah. Or Colt because I forgot that there was a Colt gun... Forty Five. Yeah, the Colt. Yeah, the Colt Forty Five was just like all right. Cool. Yeah, cool. It just sounds cowboy, I guess. Does he have a cowboy hat? Um, no, but he's dressed in everything else. That's Fun fact: there. He has chaps. Fun fact about uh, uh cowboys: they do shoot. They do. I think they used to Colt shoot Colt 45s. Well, yeah, the revolvers. But yeah. yeah, which are Colt 45s. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So well, <laughs> yeah, so it's fun. It's free, and I don't. Know, and it's definitely gets. It's one of those games that's a lot better when you play with like friends and usually only your friends. <laughs> only your friends, huh? The way you say it's, it's the way you were. Sorry, when you play with that, friends. No, because you're like it, the game's a lot better when you play with my friends. I didn't say mine. You did. You did. I no? think. Oh, I, I wish you did. I, can we roll back the tape? No, we I can't. just I just paused. Oh, I, I say, heard mine, and I was like, I will only play with your friends. No, it's like when you play with friends. Yeah. I mean, I play with like my brother and my other. Yeah, friend, yeah, and, yeah. I don't know. It's definitely really, really fun. It gets really, really intense, though. I really wish you also, said my friends because that would be great. If you're like, hey, everyone, this game's only good if you play with my social circle. Otherwise, it's trash. And I guess, like, other good addicting games, like, the matches range from, like, two to three minutes, maybe, like, three minutes, at, like, on the longer side. Right. And unlike Hearthstone, which, you know, is one of my favorite free-to-play games, like, some games, depending on the matchups, could almost last 20 minutes sometimes. So that's not, like, a, a game you kind of just, like, play on the bus, because you might be like, oh, man, I'm already here, and I'm yeah. still in mid-game, but I have to keep looking at my phone. Like, there's a game that, like, I literally got... Like, two matches in when Jason said, oh, I'm going to go to the restroom real fast. And then by the time he came back, I was already done. I was only gone for 45 seconds. That's the crazy part. Yeah. Like, the game yeah. Is, I mean, you have a good team, and they just go by really fast. And yeah. yeah. I spent more time walking to and from. That's how quick it was. Your yeah. game. Um, What was I going to say? Yeah, I, you know, it raises an interesting point, though, because all the, like, Brawl Stars, Clash of Clans being game, like, how are the games of services going to work inside services? How you have a subscription service with a game as service in the service? How you service section it? What's the service inception I, I levels guess here? That's the How way deep that does it go. I guess that would be the only way that the developers could circumvent those, like. But that means every game that has to have extra money. Yeah. Yeah. Like, now they have th- to have those hooks. Like, it, like every game is gonna have like, like, oh, here's like some aesthetic stuff. Pretty much like Overwatch. Yeah. Like, like yeah, Overwatch or any other game where like. The, or like uh, how Clash yeah. of Clans now is a season pass. Yeah, the cosmetics don't affect the gameplay. It's just like give yeah. us some extra money because we get paid pretty like crappily so. and I guess that kind of goes back to my main concern about like so either people laughed about horse armor back in the day but. yeah and here we are but like let's say Apple goes all in on the payment model of paying by playtime others are going to follow suit Stadia may follow suit and then if you're basically a developer choosing between either I do that or I do a game and service for the rest of my life and you know make make Brawl Stars um what if like every streaming service hops on one, hops on that bandwagon? Well, what if every developer hops on one of these two bandwagons? What if you're either 
being paid by the hours people play, or you have to do a game of service where you make them continue to play for the rest of their lives and just keep getting you money. Like, either way, you're stuck in the same loops, kind of. It just, I don't know, it just means less variety in gaming overall, I feel like, and that's kind of a bummer. Like, I'd much rather all these guys were more forward-thinking here and do what Netflix does. Because, like, Netflix, they pay for content up front. They're not like, well, you watch this min- you watch this movie for 10 minutes, so we will give a tenth of the money or whatever to the to the people that made the movie. Like, they don't do that because that would be crazy. And I'm saying, like, I don't know, it just seems like it's going to be crazy for games too. So I really hope that report was not entirely accurate in that Apple, or maybe they're getting feedback from developers and don't do it. Whatever the reason, I hope they don't do that. And I hope others don't follow suit because I don't want services to rule the day by all doing the exact same thing, which is like, how do we keep you playing longer? Whether it's for money or for minutes, like how, how do we keep you hooked and do all those psychology tricks and whatnot? Like that would suck. No, it would suck. But now that we've talked a whole bunch about that, about App Arcade and Stadia, and the question kind of becomes like, what does this mean for Nintendo? And I don't mean our little like, oh, well, they're going to have AR and, you know, in 10 years they'll be high-fiving a hologram Mario. I mean like, what does this mean for Nintendo now in the foreseeable future because they're always late with things. So modern-day Nintendo. And, and one aspect that's particularly interesting about Google and Apple with their respective services is they each played up pretty significantly the idea that they work across all sorts of devices and screen sizes. You can start playing in one place, like your Apple TV for Arcade, for example, and then you can jump to your iPhone and the save file will pick up where you left off. Or more impressively with Stadia, you can seamlessly jump between devices like instantly when you switch its switches. And that wasn't meant to be a pun, but it might as well be because what I'm describing here, both of these services are this is the hook of the Switch. This is the Switch's like thesis statement, if you will. Games are at home. They're on the go. You can switch seamlessly between them with different play options. That's the pitch of Switch. And now there are two different behemoths of technology being like, well, you could do it with ours too. Or ours. And you don't even need to buy a new device. You can use your phone. You can use your laptop. You can use your TV. Like It's just kind of crazy and, the, and and that fact that they're really gunning after the Switch's main thing was not lost on investors like following the Stadia announcement Nintendo shares were down something like 3.2 3.21% which from an investor's perspective I, I get why like if you're a more casual player and you look at Switch you're looking at spending $300 for a system plus $20 for a monthly fee for Switch Online and on the surface it does sound much better 20 just... bucks for a monthly fee or maybe 20 dollars a year Whoa, sorry man. i misspoke 20 dollars a year hold your horses yeah but it does, like on the surface regardless of his month or, month or year being like oh i'm paying 320 dollars to get this switch with this online play for a year on the surface it sounds much better to just pay for apple arcade or stadia because it's gonna be less up front um and i could see why people would be like well maybe switch has trouble but there is another side to the Switch's success. And this is one that Stadia and Apple Arcade will never be able to counter. And that is the first party lineup. You're never going to be playing Pokemon or Mario or Smash or Mario Kart on these services. Like Nintendo was noticeably not on the wall of names for Apple Arcade. And I think those IPs are like possibly more of a driving force for Switch than investors are giving it credit for. It's certainly in a way a bigger push for switch than um if they then then the uh, then the like actual switching of switch i feel like it's a bigger p- pitch a bigger push is the franchises than it is if they were just like here's a system that can do two things at once they go hand in hand but the one hand is bigger i would say and to that point the february mpd chart 
MPD chart. Um, that came out a few weeks back. We didn't really get a chance to discuss it last episode. I'm not going to run through the I whole was thing. So disappointed. I know. Jason Sales Corner. We can't not do a Jason Sales Corner for episode 200, but we can know, do the huh? bare minimum because it's only in relation to Switch's <sighs> IP. The bare minimum? I'll, I'll have to. You'll have to like just make do. I'm yeah. sorry. I see the tears already rolling down. Um, so sad. But yeah, the thing that the real takeaway from February MPD is uh, look at how Switch is doing. Number one console on the chart yet again. Um, leak numbers peg it at about 363,000 sold here in the States. That is 100,000 more than what the PS4 did and 140,000 more than what the Xbox One did. And it generated the most hard- hardware revenue for Nintendo in a February since February of 2011. What's interesting about that is that's with Anthem being the number one game of the month and there being zero Switch games in the top 20 until you reach Smash Bros. at number 7. And then following that, you got New Super Mario Bros. U at number 11, Mario Kart 8 at number 12, Zelda at 15, Super Mario Party at 18. Point is, every single Switch game on that list isn't just a first-party game, isn't just one of the IPs that will like fight against the streaming services. It's an evergreen. It's one that's got to keep doing that forever. Like Their titles just keep on selling. And no Apple Arcade and no Stadia, re- Stadia release is going to affect that. It's particularly telling if you look at the Switch-only top 10 for February, because games 1 through 9, all Nintendo published. Game number 10, Minecraft. That's the only exception here. And Japan's the same story. Smash Bros, over 3 million copies sold in Japan already, making it the best-selling system on Switch. It only took 5 months to do Or the best-selling game on Switch. It only took 5 months to do that. And Switch is still outpacing Wii sales over there. Um, it also, in March, Nintendo was the number one hardware manufacturer and the number one publisher in Japan. That's how strong these IPs are. And I think the only area that perhaps Stadia and uh, Apple Arcade could affect Nintendo is on the third-party front. Because, like, yeah, all these first-party games, they're selling great. Third-party, maybe people will play them on Stadia instead of on Switch. But even then, if people already own the Switch for Nintendo's own games, it's a different story to now want to invest in some other platform or service to play the same third-party games, but, like, with latency and... You know, on a on whatever. I mean, yeah, there's the advantage of playing on your phone, but if you have a Switch, you can play on a bigger screen already. And the, really, the fact that Nintendo leans so heavily on its first party lineup, to me, minimizes the impact of any sort of competitor who can offer the same anytime, anywhere concept if all they're doing is doing it with the same games that you could already get on Switch, or at least a lot of them, at least in my opinion. And, and you know, let's say that's the case. Let's say if Little Billy. Because what you thought? We thought we could do a milestone 200th episode without mentioning our favorite hypothetical child. That was, it was Timmy. Or it was Timmy. Wow, wow. That's how long it's been. I'm sorry, Timmy. It was Timmy, not Billy. Well, he has a brother. Little did you know. For the next, he's he's it's an it's uh he's now canon. Little Billy and little Timmy. You're right. It was Tilly. it was Timmy. Yeah. Well, let's say little Timmy or Billy or both. Let's say they get a switch from their parents. Oh. And let's say that they then look at Stadia or Apple Arcade. What are the odds the parents are going to be like, sure, we'll subscribe you to this other thing that does exactly what your Switch does, except maybe slightly prettier? Like, I feel like it's not that high of a chance. And I think that Nintendo... Yeah, most parents already give their kids iPads Mm -hmm. to share, though. So what are the odds that you're like, you already have a Switch, you already have an iPad, now you want a Stadia? Like, maybe Apple Arcade will be the one that kind of works, but I don't think, like, Stadia has a chance with that. I don't know. But... I think Nintendo's going to like they're very savvy in that they're locking in more people to that exact scenario. They're getting as many people on Switch right now as quickly as they can. So when not necessarily intentionally, but when these other services launch, 
most of the games are going to be on Switch already. Most of the game, like the, the side point, if you could switch between your devices, like that's great if you don't want a Switch, but if you want a Switch, it's not as valuable. And if you can get more people to own a Switch, it's less valuable to more people. Um, and that might be why there are reports from both the Wall Street Journal and Eurogamer that Nintendo will be launching not one, but two new Switch models in 2019. What? And yeah, so that, that, well, that in and of itself immediately resolves that ongoing debate of whether this year's new Switch is going to be a pro Switch or a kid friendly, cheaper, like light Switch. Huh, light Switch. Oh man, they better call it the light Switch. Oh wow, how did I not think of that before? <laughs> Built in slash light. They better call, yes, that'll be the killer new feature. They better call it the light Switch. Oh, that's so good. They could do it on the end of one of the Joy Cons that doesn't have the AR blaster. Exactly, the light Switch. Oh my god. I mean, IR blaster. The light switch. This totally redeems me from mixing up Billy and Timmy. The light switch. It's genius. Anyway, um, the la- the light switch, honestly, is what I thought they were going to be doing all along. I've said as much on the show. I've said it to you off the show. Um, but guess what? It seems like everyone's now correct because they're doing both. But I, th- I think well, it's, it's official. Uh, well, Wall Street Journal is saying it, so it's ba- it's basically official. And I think it's significant because, like – I don't know. I'm not going to trust Wall Street Journal. You could trust the Wall Street Journal. The, the, guy who's do- the guy who wrote this is their, like, Nintendo Beat reporter. Like, he knows what's up. He's never. He has not been wrong. Uh, it's be, a financial newspaper very, for investors. Well, sure. Well, when they announced it supposedly at E3 and release it supposedly as soon as this summer, you can go ahead and be like, "Oh, but I guess I guess it was true." But yeah, I, I, I mean, that's literally how it goes. That, that that makes sense because that is how it would go. But um, yeah, I think it's significant because it like it lets Nintendo lock in a broader audience to switch basically ASAP. Like. If it's out this summer, that's very soon. And while I think you know Nintendo has its own modes for releasing them sooner rather than later, it provides multiple entry points in time for major franchises like you know Pokemon Animal Crossing. They can get more people in to play those. It fills the budget gap left by the dying 2DS. Like you know, there's all those reasons to do it. Doing it sooner does also have the advantage of getting as many people locked in as possible before any of the subscription services launch, which is another plus. Um, but just beyond that angle of the whole streaming thing, I'm really curious like what what these systems will be. Like, this marks the first time, I think, that Nintendo's ever released two revisions of a system at the same time, let alone within the same couple of years. And the logic seems to be that they're trying to very quickly mirror the success of the branched 3DS line. So you're going to have a higher-end Switch, kind of like the higher-end 3DS, and you're going to have a cheaper, kid-friendly Switch, kind of like the 2DS. And, you know, those two were selling side-by-side for years. So the cheaper one... Seems kind of like the obvious one in terms of predictions. I mean, we we talked about it in the past. Wall Street Journal is now saying that Nintendo is going to cut features for sure to make it more affordable. They're specifically saying that HD Rumble is most likely on the chopping block. Um, we have talked before about what that means for games like Super Mario Party, but I guess I guess Nintendo feels that the trade-off's worth it. Like, is there even any other game on Switch that would need well, to mean, lose HD Rumble? H- I mean, the HD Rumble is in the controller, so in theory, if you just have your own Joy-Cons and it's still compatible... Yeah, that's the other I guess thing. it's a non-issue. It would just have to fade. Or they could just patch it out. But are there any other games besides Mario Party that even use HD Rumble in that meaningful of a way? I, I mean, 1-2-Switch. Oh, yeah, Nintendo's fine with keeping that dead and buried. <laughs> wow. I mean, like, do you really think... When they have Pokemon Sword and Shield and Animal Crossing Switch and you know Odyssey and Breath of the Wild still selling and Smash Bros and Mario Kart, they're gonna be like, guys, have you milked cows yet? The game they got away with not putting in as a pack in. Yeah, literally, like that was clearly just a stopgap till they had the real games. But like, I mean, as much as I'd love to, as much as I enjoyed the cow milking game, not gonna lie, but yeah, it. Uh, I'm not surprised if they just don't care. But um, 
you know, more interesting than, I guess, just removing features, the report claims the cheaper Switch may come in an unexpected form factor, is how they word it, one that's different from the original and may be surprising. So um, that immediately makes me think it's going to be handheld only. I'm just going to say that. Like, maybe maybe you could buy a separate... Console, I guess? What? So, like, no detachable parts? No detachables. Yeah, maybe you'll be able to, like... Does that even affect some things, like, the way you play Mario Odyssey? It's not going to be as fun to shake the whole console to move faster. Well, here's the thing, though. Like, hypothetically, even if it is handheld only, maybe you'll be able to still, like, buy a separate little dock or dongle and hook it to your TV. So you can still do all that when you're in TV mode. Just when you're doing handheld mode, you're a little more limited. Yeah. Like, I can't think of another way that Nintendo would shake up Switch that much besides something like that. I mean, may, if you want to get real crazy, maybe the light Switch, hey, will um, have a clamshell design. Like, I don't know. That's that's something very unexpected. But it does kind of match the idea of kid-friendly. I mean, the 2DS didn't, but the 3DS did. The Game Boy Advance the did. The new 2DS doesn't. Yeah. The new 2DS does. I mean, the new the, 2DS uh, yeah, XL. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They actually yeah. went from not doing clamshell back into the world of clamshell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wonder if they are actually going to clam it up. It 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 would be a uh, it would be a surprise. It'd be a huge. Like, it'd be bulky. Yeah. yeah, but then again, if you want like a durable thing for kids to throw around, blocky's not bad per se. And like going a handheld only does kind of make sense. I mean, Nintendo's marketing angle for Switch has evolved. It used to be like play all these different ways, and now it's my Switch my way. Like that's their whole ad campaign they've been doing this year. And the idea of the platform on like the high broad level, it seems to be like just to offer all these different ways to engage with your games on this one platform whatever way best suits you in your life that's cool we as nintendo support it we got your back so you know if they were introduced a switch pocket or like a switch a light switch um that's handheld only it kind of fits the broader like thesis statement of the system which is just like you play these games however the hell you want <laughs> like we will give you all the tools and you just play it so if they're like, well, here's tool number four you can just have a handheld only one it kind of could work I mean, it, it opens up all sorts of questions, you know, like that we asked pretty much in past episodes of the show when we thought about this. Like, how would multiplayer work without detachable Joy-Cons? But may, maybe the answer is it, as simple as it doesn't. Like, I mean, if you look at the 2DS, they will find success without having the banner feature of the 3DS. And yeah, that feature is less critical than Joy-Cons, but perhaps Nintendo's a level of confidence that they can do it again with the, with the light switch. I don't know. I mean, you could argue that wireless controllers still do work with the system when needed, even in the handheld version. So if you want to do multiplayer or a dock mode or something, you can still sync a Joy-Con to it, presumably. You could still, you know, hand a controller that you keep in your back. Like if you have a Pro Controller, you can hand it to your friend. They could play over your shoulder while you're playing handheld. It's still technically possible. It's not as convenient, but I don't know. Maybe Nintendo feels that's good enough. Like, especially if you think about the light switch. I'm, I'm really calling it this now. Uh, if you think about the light switch being really kids, really. But if you, if you think of the light switch being aimed at kids, like for when they're battling in Pokemon or visiting each other's Animal Crossing towns, like each kid needs their own switch anyway for that to happen. Like the 2DS and 3DS, most schoolyard gaming, I assume, correct me if I'm wrong, you you witness it. They had dedicated systems per person. It's not like people are like, let's play Pokemon, and they're like huddling over one system. So the idea that the switch in a handheld only capacity can just be a per person device isn't that absurd as I think we originally thought it was. No. I mean, that's just me. I don't know. What, I mean, do you feel like that's too far straying no, too far from from the Switch God's light here or something? I or? mean, that's, that seems like the most extreme version they could take. Yeah. And it seems like the most extreme, but it also feels like the safest. So, yeah. So if that's the most extreme, then... Then they're okay. Yeah. But that's only half the rumor, though, because the other half, 
is of course the enhanced switch and what it will provide. I mean, what would you even want to see in a let a Switch Pro? Let, I wish there's a. I like, honestly don't know. Yeah, it's like I can't even think have, of what they can quote unquote improve I mean, on. My my gut. that doesn't like shoot themselves in the leg a little bit. Yeah, like yeah, I mean, go ahead. Weird. Yeah, because it'd be annoying to have another generation where it's like new 3ds and old 3ds like oh this game is going to run at a consistent frame rate and the older version won't which is what the 3ds and the 3ds did for some like monster hunter the closest i could see to them doing that honestly is like frankly my gut feeling is this is not going to be about specs as much in like a meaning or true like truthful like just premium quality materials actual glass instead of well they could i mean they could clean up some stuff but i think in terms of your um your whole new 3ds complaint versus 3ds and frame rate i don't think they're even going to go as far as like oh it runs faster i think what they might do is hey the switch pro or whatever you want to call it can run in handheld mode what you see on the original switch in dock mode and it will do it from a 1080p screen instead of a 720p screen battery. and the battery's bigger and the bezel is smaller and the wi-fi trip chip is stronger because i know some people have complaints with that and um you know maybe it supports bluetooth headphones now like, it might be, like, little quality of life things like that. And that might be enough to entice some people. Would that entice you? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think... I mean, if they... I don't know. I mean, I think the fact that you can have your games running at, like, optimal Switch performance is kind of cool. And it wouldn't, like, drag down games that don't. It'd be like, they'd still say you develop for docked, you develop for handheld. It's just docked also means handheld on the Pro. Like it's not like it's gonna, you know, what I mean, like it's not gonna like hurt a game. Yeah. It can only really help. Considering on... my Switch is docked like ninety five percent of the time, yeah, probably wouldn't make a difference for me. I guess. It's funny because for me, I actually found myself playing handheld more than docked. I will do docked for some stuff, but a lot of time, even Smash Bros, I'm just like chilling on the couch, just playing it in handheld mode, even though the TV's one room over on a different couch. Oh, it's weird. I just weird. really like handheld. So like, for me, potentially something like that's cool, but it kind of depends on. It kind of depends on what they end up doing. And, like, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if the long-term play here is the enhanced Switch slowly replaces the OG Switch to the point that, like, it's the primary Switch. So you have, like, you know, Switch Pro, Switch, and Light Switch. And then Switch Pro slowly eats away at normal Switch until normal Switch is gone. I mean, they did it with the new 3DS. Over time, it replaced the original 3DS, and then that was it. And then they did it with the 2DS as well, and the new 2DS replacing the 2DS. So, like, I think they could do that. I don't think at first they're going to, like, right out the gate, but I think that maybe is the end goal is to just kind of phase it out. I mean, even PS4 Pro and PS4 kind of are doing that. A little less so, but still. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't... Like, do you think... Unless they did like an actual like Switch Two, which is probably isn't like there's nothing that's gonna get you a double dip, huh? No. Unless yeah. Nintendo's like holograms, <laughs> but yeah, I don't think so. Especially, yeah, it, yeah, it, it'd be a while. I think I'm good on buying any new console for at least another three to four years. I mean, it happens when you have three PS4s between you and your brother. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I, I, you know, honestly, my biggest concern though, um, I mean, I, my PS4 just turned a year old. Yeah, this so month. you're good. My my. Uh, my biggest concern that's crazy it's only been a year is that's actually time flies no what else demonstrates that time flies 200 episodes anyway no what I was going to say is that the big concern I have about these new switches is not so much like what they'll be how is Nintendo going to market these things because if, if there's one thing Nintendo has not been good at like consistently it is naming iterations of their systems like if even briefly they have three switches on sale, how do you make it clear which is which? I mean, yeah, Switch, Switch Pro, Light Switch, 
that's pretty clear. But knowing Nintendo, we're gonna get something ridiculous like the new Switch, the Switch and the Switch Eye, or like the Switch Go, oh God, or like the Switch Eye or new Switch or Switch Go, or like imagine like what we'll ha- like Switch Go is kind of like, oh the handheld button it only works on the Go, but Switch Go is almost like contra- it only works on the Go, but it's still a Switch. Like how do you isn't that what the PSP tried? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But like how and it was like the flip phone or the slider phone yeah, the version. Slider. But like how do you how's that not confusing? It's the Switch, but it doesn't switch. Like, they're going to have to, like, figure out a good name for it. Like, I'm really worried they're going to do something stupid. Like, the new 3 Switch XL Galaxy style or something like that. It's like, I, I'm worried a little that they're going to botch it. I mean, I, I like the name Light Switch a lot, obviously. I kept saying it. I thought Switch Pocket was a cool nod to Game Boy, and that's what I used to call it until I thought Light Switch unintentionally. But, like, those names don't really work. Light Switch certainly doesn't. Switch Pocket only works if it's, like, a clamshell that actually fits in your pocket. But it's still kind of weird naming, so they're going to have to figure that one out. And what's kind of funny to me is, like, Nintendo has been very leaky lately. I'm surprised we don't know the names. We seem to know everything else about everything else, but somehow we don't know what these systems will be called, or really actually what they actually will be in terms of, like, physical embodiment of their ideas. But for a company that's had a bunch of leaks, it's, it's weird, and they have had a bunch of weird leaks, actually. I mean, there was first Best Buy who just out of nowhere suddenly in their internal employee terminal had listings for persona 5 on switch metroid prime trilogy and of all things zelda a link to the past but for switch and best buy pretty quickly hid the listings away even in the internal terminal um but wario 64 you know gaming personality and deal extraordinaire on twitter um he claims it's still in their rss feed in the system's RSS, rss feed meaning it's not actually fully removed it's just not active and if they're honest to goodness mistakes, why would there be any trace like that? So there may be actually some realness to these leaks. Um, and I think if that's the case, Zelda is definitely the weirdest, most peculiar of the bunch. Apparently, this wasn't a mix-up. Like, I mean, when when you heard a li- when you hear a Link to Pass is coming to Switch, it I I initially was like, oh, they mean Link's Awakening. Someone made an error. Like clearly, like there's no way. Nope, separate listing entirely. Link's Awakening's in the system too. So what 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 is that? Are they making a remake of Link to the Past using the same engine as Link's Awakening? Like maybe, but why would they announce it or have it in any ready for retailer like system? It's gonna be one this of those early in development games, I guess. But like why why would they do that? Like It's gonna be another crazy art style. It's gonna be all like But why do both in the same year? Like you're cannibalizing your own thing. Like it doesn't and then they have Kane's High Roll. That's three two D Zeldas in like nine months. That doesn't make any sense. Assuming it's coming this year. Even if it's coming next year, I was within a year and a half. Like it it undercuts it completely. I mean, I don't know. Would you would you be more interested in a remake of a link to the past or Link's Awakening? Um I mean I guess Link's Awakening because I only have two options. Well, well, because I guess, yes, of course, there are only two options. Well, well, I mean, one. well, I mean, I guess because there isn't a neither option. There is a neither option. No, you didn't give me one. That's true. So I yeah, one. I guess it's like if you had to pick one, which would you? Yeah, pick? It's like if yeah. I had to pick one, I guess Link to the Past. And that's why I feel too, because it's been longer since we've seen that game. Like, Even though I oh wait wait Link to the Past, I said Link's Awakening. Did you just change it on me? No, Link. To... I I've always said Link to the Past. Oh, I totally misheard. Even you. though I would care more about Link's Awakening because like it's been longer, but continue. yeah, I mean, also never. Link's Awakening. I mean, I never fully played Link's Awakening, yeah. but I'd still be more interested in Link to the Past, regardless. Right. I wonder if they're counting on people. I mean, that is the bigger of the two. 
if they did a remake so close. I it's wonder not if even my, one of my favorite games. I mean, it's just it's just it, it just exists. Yeah. I mean, I think more logically than a remake, it could be the original. It's like a 2D Ocarina of Time almost. I mean, that's based. No, no, Ocarina of Time is a 3D a Link to the Past. Let's get the, the chronological order correct. <laughs> tomato, tomato, who cares? Potato, potato. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think more logically, it could be, I don't know, the original Super Nintendo version, but ported to Switch. Like, that would explain why it's on Switch. Like, maybe it's a retail download card. But if that's the case, why wouldn't the yeah, game be part that, Switch Online? Wasn't Super Nintendo games supposed to be that in was the like Switch a thought Online that came, library? That is a thought that crossed my mind, but then it doesn't make sense it doesn't. if the virtual console is thing. Yeah, or not a virtual well, console, but Switch Online game library. Well, yeah, okay. well, whatever. I mean, it, and let's say Switch Online. By the way, this is totally a tangent, but let's say Switch Online Did they release does, any games in the last two months? I feel like Yes, they did. They just released – thank you for bringing this up. I wanted to go on this tangent. They just released I feel like I still, follow, I still follow them on Twitter, but I haven't – I feel like I completely missed last what week, they've released in the last two or three months. I remember I couldn't tell you two or three months ago, but I can tell you last week was Punch Out, Super Mario the Lost Levels, and Star Shooter, Star Soldier, Star Shooter, something like that. And the reason Punch Out is so memorable in my mind is because Mike Tyson had like a weird Twitter flip out about it. He thought he saw he saw a story. Well, this is what we this is what everyone's assuming happened. Because it makes no sense otherwise. He saw, we think, a story that Punch-Out! is now on Nintendo Switch. And he's like, what? But I'm Punch-Out! I'm Mike Tyson. So he tweeted... Did he not have this when the Wii one came out? You would think he would have had this for any of the five entries he's not in. But nope. Uh, so he tweeted, heard at Nintendo was doing the new Punch-Out! without even contacting me. It won't be the same. My knockouts made the game. That's whack. And he also tweeted, Mr. Dream, everyone tell at Nintendo America who they think of when they hear Punch-Out. And I just really want to tell him, does he know Punch-Out existed before he was involved with it? There was a version before him, and there have been like three or yeah, four since. Didn't he realize that Mr. Dream got stopped out a long time ago? No, Mr. Dream's in the... Well, when they re-release the NES version, Mr. Dream's always in it. No, I know. That's what, like, I mean... He's like, in the Switch version. He saw the story about... The Switch. No, I know. That's a yes like, thing. No, that's a like. Why didn't he have? Oh, this? you mean why was he swapped out for Mister Dream? No, like if he's getting upset about Mister Dream now, like why? Like I guess he just somehow didn't hear about this. Probably, but some people are like, oh, is he leaking a new game? It's like, no, he's not. No, there's no way Nintendo's like, hey, Mike Tyson, we're making a new Punch Out, and you're still not in it. See you in 2020. Like, no, there's they're clearly like he saw this, but I just thought it was like a really funny, weird moment that is only pop possible when Nintendo's back on top for like Mike Tyson to be like how dare you <laughs> like how dare you Nintendo and the funny thing is like the boxing community all like ride behind him like yeah how dare you Nintendo Mike Tyson made this like no guys he was licensed in for a single game it was an arcade game first that was on NES with him then he was gone again that was on Wii and re-released multiple times with Mr. Dream so like just just relax Oh, the Kirby's Adventure SP. Yes. Oh, yeah, they're doing special save files. Like, they just did one for Kid Icarus as well. Yeah, I do I like that. that when they do the new updates, they don't tell you what the special save files will be. You just have to, like, see it at launch. Like, they're nice little fun little, Tiny, tiny surprises every month. While the other yeah, ones, they give Adventure it Adventure of Link got yep. a special one. Mm-hmm. Hmm. But, yeah, back um, to... Stars, oh, yeah, Star Soldier you mentioned. Star Soldier, that. yeah. I think that's not the... I think I said every word but Soldier. I was like, Star Shooter, Star... Oh, no, I did say Soldier, yeah. Um, but yeah, there's still and and it's to Nintendo's credit they yeah, did three and I whole games. The whole list. That's nothing it. Nothing exciting. Yeah, to Nintendo's credit they did three whole games this month. Usually they do two. So just think if they're doing three, maybe in half a year they'll do like f- four, five. But but back to Best Buy though. Um, 
my other thought about what what a link to the past could be is what if it's a pre-order bonus for Link's Awakening, kind of like how they did Ocarina of Time for Wind Waker back in the GameCube days, or like maybe how they did the Zelda um, Collector's Edition back with every game up to Wind Waker in like 2004. Like that would be kind of cool if there's like, hey, here's a free download of this classic Zelda game while you wait for this other remake of this other classic Zelda game. But again, it undercuts the idea of joining Switch Online. Like, what? I don't get. It really is a mystery. It's it's a mystery to everybody. But um, the two that make more sense, uh, Metro Prime Trilogy and Persona Five, those, you know, like Metro Prime Trilogy, that's already basically a known thing. It's not confirmed yet, but so many reports about it, so many people saying it's done or they know about. It. Like I, I feel like that one wasn't a shock. Uh, likewise, Persona Five just makes sense on Switch. I mean, Joker's in Smash. The timing of it's right. There's some sort of Persona live stream uh, on the 25th of this month. And the big Smash 3.0 update with Joker is supposed to hit this month as well. So pairing them, the announcement of Persona with Joker. We're halfway done with this month by Monday. I know, and there's still half a month to go. So well, it goes with the usual Nintendo. Like, oh, it's coming out in in, in April. Oh, remember, that, that means April 30th. Remember the one time they didn't do that with Piranha Plant, and it came out January. It was supposed to come out in February, and it hit the last day of January. Oh, that was cool. But yeah, I think I think pairing. The Joker release with any news about Persona 5 on Switch, which seems more and more likely since it's in Best Buy system, like that just makes sense. A lot of people were saying that they kind of suspected that would happen when it was first revealed at the Game Awards. Uh, Joker, I mean, I was saying that I think so. Yeah, it, it just makes sense. But it, it sounds like beyond just Joker, the 3.0 update actually might have some pretty cool additions for Smash because uh, we know Stage Builders in there. It's coming back, and this too was a leak, but from a very unlikely source. It was leaked by Nintendo themselves like in their leak, own commercial. Like when they leaked Ganondorf on Smash 3DS. Yeah, essentially. Was it from the same? Was it the same sort of situation? Yeah, it was, commercial. Well, it, was, it was from a trailer on on YouTube. Right. Yeah, because that's, that's basically then, what happened. And then here. they edited it out. So this one was from a commercial right at the beginning of one of the new Switch My Way ads. There's a kid. He's shown with Smash. Behind him is the menu of the game, and in the bottom corner, very blurry but still somewhat legible, is a new uh, stage builder icon. So there you go. 3.0 update. Stage builder's back. So now that we know it's coming, I'm curious, as someone that actually used stage builder, you, what 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 would you want out of a new stage builder? Do, like, If they're going to like do the ultimate stage builder, what does it take to actually improve upon it? I mean, I never really cared for any of the other stage builders that much outside of the fact that they let me build the basketball stages so as long as it lets me build the backup <laughs> the basketball stage I'm, I'm good now I, I have pie and sky ideas of what they could do personally um, I, I think know. they should go Mario Maker on it I think they should let you share the stages to some sort of online like repository and I think you should be able like to like how they used to but could you sort by rating and top download and was it like Mario Maker was it that like yeah, like Useful. there was a whole was server, it? yeah. Oh yeah, they did that. They did that, didn't they? Yeah, they did. I forgot about that. Yeah, I think they should do that. I guess it's not a pie in the sky <laughs> idea at all. It's very matter of fact. Well, here, here's the second half of it that I was gonna say. I think they should also make it work with the Switch Online app because Smash World is still supposedly a thing, and that's supposed to come out sometime in the early part of this year. Early's almost over. It's almost. It's halfway to May. It, um. I think what they should do is all that stuff I was saying that I thought they didn't do, which I guess they did, they should now actually do, but in the Switch Online app. Because wouldn't that be cool if like you're browsing Smash World and you're watching gameplay videos and you're browsing stages and you're like, yeah, download that stage, and then when you get back 
to your Switch, the stage is ready to play on. Do you think they'll announce a release Mesh World with this update? I hope so. It, I mean, we deserve to at least know what's going on with it. Well, we don't deserve anything, but you know what I mean. Like, it would be nice if they could. Well, look at you, Mr. Entitled. I Hey, I backed off it real fast because, <laughs> yeah, it sounded pretty bad. But, no, I think I think we're due for an update. Um, if Nintendo really wants to sell the Switch Online app as a thing, you've got to get more games in there. It's still only Splatoon. I mean, they just updated it to version 1.5 like a week ago, and the only thing it added, I think, was more language support, supposedly. 1.5 sounds like a pretty big update, though. Like, I imagine there might be some more hidden stuff in there, perhaps. But, but yeah, um, we shall see. We shall see. I will say, though, for all the stuff that did leak, which is a fair amount, the Switches, the games, I'm impressed one big thing didn't leak, and that is Nintendo's true VR ambitions. Like, sure, we knew Labo VR was coming, but the way Nintendo just casually dropped information right up to the biggie that, you know, Mario Odyssey and Zelda Breath of the Wild would be gaining VR modes. Pleasantly surprised. It's nice, yeah, to feel, it was, it's nice to feel that sometimes. It's surprisingly stealthy of them. I was impressed. And I don't think anyone really saw it coming, right? Like, it really felt out of left field, especially Breath of the Wild. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, you know, because... Uh, I wish they had, you know, kind of... Done something fix, real fix with the it? Yeah. So it was like in first person the whole time, but, you know, it is what it is. I, I, I do think, like, it... Yeah, for Breath of the Wild, I guess if you want, you could like hold your arrow out the whole time. I like guess bow and arrow, and then the the yeah. thing about Breath of the Wild is it feels like it's supposed to be less VR and more 3D. Like it's almost like well, yeah, it doing... is 3D. No, no, no. But I mean, they're kind of doing like a, it's more of a nod to how the 3DS was like. Oh, look, you're peering into this little box, this little diorama. But um, the plan to have it work for the whole game. That's that's kind of cool that the entire game could be viewed that way, and I do like with Mario. <laughs> they expect Odyssey. you to hold on to the headset the whole time. That's what. That, so that's the wrinkle gonna, of all this. Is there going to be like a a strap you can build, or you, I guess you could not lay, officially. I mean, I guess you could like lay down on your stomach and just put like you're supposed to be laying down on a, on a table, or I guess off your bed, but have a chair out so that you could like just. I don't know. Well, here's lay the, your head on the headset. Here's here's the weird... or on your back and just put it up. I guess. Yeah, and just uh. rest on your face. But like, it's by design. I think that you don't have a strap at all because like Nintendo by doing this is able to say, unlike real VR, this VR can be aimed at kids seven plus seven and up, like the 3DS. Normal VR has a age requirement of thirteen and up for kids' eyes, and they can do seven and up because people will want to put down the headset. Like it feels very much by design as a natural stop or prolonged play session because unfortunately your arms are going to get tired and for Nintendo that's fortunate because it lets them be like well you're not going to hold it that long so you're going to take it off your eyes will adjust you put it back on it's fine but for like someone that wants to do a prolonged play session your eyes are going to get tired and so or not your eyes sorry your arms are going to get tired and that's especially true because you have to hold the thing you're playing the games I mean think about it the Joy-Cons are sticking out of the Labo you're playing the games potentially by holding the lavo up to your face and holding the joy cons so and using them while it's in your face like put your everyone listening like grab a switch grab your switch put it about four inches from your face and try playing it with the joy cons like near your ears sounds horribly uncomfortable. that's presumably what they want you to do because like zelda doesn't have special controls the mario uh super mario odyssey stuff potentially does it's actually three new mission or three new New set of missions in three new kingdoms. The Cap Kingdom, Seaside Kingdom, Luncheon Kingdom. And what you do is you collect coins and musical notes. And if you collect enough musical notes, the citizens of that kingdom will do a 
performance in the style of the New Donk City performance, which I'm going to totally do because I love that New Donk City scene, and that sounds great. And even better, you'll then be able to watch those performances as well as all the other game's cutscenes in a new theater mode they're adding, which will support the VR headset as well. So, like, that's all really cool, but it's going to be super uncomfortable to do it because, yeah, you're holding it right up against your face. Um, but I do think it's interesting. And that split 720 resolution. Yeah, so. yeah, and you're going to see big blotchy pixels, and you're going to see, like, jagged edges, and it's going to be great. But I do think um, it's smart Nintendo's doing this. Like, a couple episodes ago, I made the point that if Nintendo wants Labo VR to do well. They need to expand the headset beyond just the Labo kit. And obviously, Nintendo had this in the works for months and didn't just hear me go. part of the Mario Kart package. You got the pedal. Yeah. You got the wind pedal. No, you need the wind pedal. Yeah, you got the regular pedal, the steering wheel, and I guess now this. And the motorcycle handlebars, yeah. Yeah, the motorcycle handlebars. And now you can do first-person Mario Kart. Well, how do you hold it? Um, You have to have a buddy. You got to have five hands. (laughs) You need a buddy. Yeah, you just have a VR holding man. But yeah, it's like it. It, this is clearly something Nintendo's been developing for a while. Like, it's not like they heard me go, maybe you should make it like the Wii Zapper or Amiibo and have it do little things in lots of games. Like, first of all, they don't listen to us. Even if they did, they're not going to be like, yeah, let's turn that around in a month and release this. Like, no way. But it is. it was kind of a cool, like, aha, there it is moment when I saw them announce it. I was like, ah, yeah, perfect. And it is kind of big that they're doing it with two of their biggest games on Switch. Um, but I, I do think it's just it's really an interesting way that Nintendo's just like testing VR in general like ignoring the fact it's like oh cool they did the thing I said like obviously this is a first pass and I, I feel like you made I don't remember if you made this point while we were recording or before recording but like there's no better way to do a first pass than to literally do the bare minimum of investment and just throw some cardboard in a box and then be like let's see what happens just make some quick little modes in two of their biggest games because you know if it takes off if it proves to actually be worth Nintendo's while, the Switch is kind of positioned to just naturally evolve into a proper casual VR machine. Like, that Switch Pro that hypothetically is coming, you know, use some of those up specs to handle VR a bit better. Um, Have that high-res screen, if there is one, help with the screen door effect and the blotchy 720 resolution you were talking about. Have people pop off the Joy-Cons and they can use them as kind of on-the-fly, like, Oculus-style controllers, and then, you know, stick a headset on a plastic or stick a head strap on a plastic headset, and boom, you have like a legit Switch VR situation. But they don't have to invest in that should Labo VR bomb. Like I realize I'm getting ahead of myself here a bit, but it just there's just so much potential. Like this is like the perfect like test case, and the idea of having some sort of like quote unquote real Nintendo games leveraging VR right out of the gate on April 25th, only two weeks after Labo VR launches, like. That's gotten a lot more people interested in trying out Lao VR. Like I think that I think it's working for Nintendo. I mean, I went from not playing to buy one to buying a star kit that is currently sitting right outside in the trunk of my car as we record this. And you know what's funny is I was super duper well, you know all about it, Angel, but I was super duper close to actually caving and getting the full eighty dollar kit. Except, guess what? It's sold out everywhere on launch day. I originally made a pre order at Best Buy to pick it up the next day in store. I got an, I it was set for Friday. I get an email like Friday afternoon saying it's not gonna be till next Friday. Then I get an email that night saying, um, actually it could be as late as May twelfth. I'm like, well screw that, I want it sooner. Like that's crazy talk Best Buy. So I go to Amazon, completely sold out, the eighty dollar kit, the full kit. I go to Target's website, complete uh shipping will take two weeks, so you know, we're back in almost May, and it's completely sold out in stores. GameStop completely sold out in stores. Walmart completely sold out in stores. I'm talking about for all of LA. And I don't necessarily know if this means it's a runaway hit. Um, for all we know, Nintendo was playing it so safe that unlike 
you know, because all the other Labo kits underperformed. Maybe they just shipped a bunch of the forty dollars star, uh, starter kits to stores, which is what I have. I had no trouble buying that. But then perhaps they only sent one eighty dollar kit to each store, or maybe not even. Maybe some stores didn't get any, or maybe it's only like two. Or like maybe they secretly want people to actually spend ninety dollars because if you buy the starter kit, you can also buy expansions at twenty bucks a pop on store.nintendo.com. So maybe like we'll call it eighty, but we'll make it so hard to find. That you end up spending 90 and we get 10 more bucks out of everyone. And no one's going to complain about the price because they're just like, oh, it's so popular. Like, who knows what the, you know, real reason is. Although I like... Will we know I do like my tinfoil hat. We, uh, it depends on how they break down the numbers. Sometimes they release the SKUs. Sometimes they just lump it all together. I don't think Nintendo... Like, honestly, that's a total tinfoil hat conspiracy. I don't think Nintendo's actually, like, lying to us about the ADR kits. But... The, the fact that it's selling at least moderately well enough to be sold out in all of LA on launch day to me opens up the doors to potentially more VR for Nintendo and other games gaining Labo support VR at the very least which of course leads to the question of there's a bunch of stuff on Switch what would actually be a good fit for getting a VR mode the one that comes to my mind immediately is ARMS mm-hmm. now you need a head strap for it but you already got the motion controls you already kind of have the behind-the-back camera. It's not that hard to just zoom in a little and hide the character model. Granted, that would change some of the mechanics, so maybe you leave it third-person and you just have it be kind of like a... That's more rabbits would look neat just because everything already looks diorama like, effect. Yeah, like a diorama. I think Captain Toe could benefit from that, too. Because Captain Toe has a kind of diorama look. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, um, it's funny. There's the character design for Xenoblade Chronicles 2 around the time this was all announced just tweeted VR dot dot dot. And I'm like, Honestly, even if they did like a Breath of the Wild style VR, 3D, not really VR, just 3D thing for that, for Xenoblade, that I could see being kind of like a cool little value. Like I'm they sure could go full Amiibo. I'm sure people with this. already 3D printed a new holder for Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, for sure they did. But it's just like there's. It's going to be like a built in helmet kind of deal. Yeah, and that's. Well, not so much the 3D printed built in helmet idea, but the idea that all these games just have little piecemeal bits and pieces of VR. That's what got me a cave and buy it. Like, that's kind of cool. Even if it's like, you know, 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there, it's the same reason I bought some amiibo that I bought. Granted, they're still in the box, so actually, it's not the reason. But hypothetically, it could be the reason. Um, so, yeah, like, I, I think there's opportunity. If we want to go one step further, it'd be cool to see games like Resident Evil Umbrella Chronicles or like Link's Crossbow Training. They can make the jump to Switch. You know, kind of like how the Zapper worked. You don't necessarily need to require Labo VR's gun, the blaster gun, to play these games. They can just port them as like HD remakes to Switch. You can use the Joy-Cons just like you would use the Wii Remote. And then, hey, nice little bonus if you have Labo VR, check it out. We support that too. That's a cool way to get a bunch of old light gun rail shooters over. So I, I don't know. Like I think I think there's a lot of potential opportunity here. Really, really, I just want them to put Virtual Boy games on Switch. Like, they're, they're, you were telling me there's something in Labo VR that already is an Easter uh, an Easter egg, a Virtual Boy Easter egg of sorts, right? I mean, that must mean they've tried it, and then they realized, no, for some I don't reason. think so, though, not necessarily. Yeah, they, they, they must have tried well, it. Well, what, what is the, the thing? There is no way they did it. What is the thing in Labo that they do for Virtual Boy? Spoilers for anyone who doesn't want to be spoiled. I don't know. Oh, you don't? Okay, I don't either. I, I just know it's a video of some sort, but I don't really yeah, know Yeah, it looks like a video. Um... But yeah, I, I, I think I think they could pull it off. I want them to pull it off. Like, I think it'd be super cool if they made them free to to like all the Switch Online subscribers. I mean, they do it with NES games. We talked about that earlier. And Nintendo's shown they're open to more unique experiences for their subscribers with stuff like Tetris 99. So why not just do like the ultimate value add and take these games that have not been playable outside of Virtual Boy and make them playable to a broader audience? 
like they're not gonna let us ever own the games like i'd rather have a way to own them but that's not gonna happen they're not gonna sell them so just throw them on a subscription service it's the next it's the next best thing honestly like just why not and they don't even have to be good at that point cause I, heard the Wario, I heard the Wario one was actually pretty good yeah Wario Lens, and, and supposedly Mario Tennis isn't horrible Mario VR Tennis I mean inspired the Mario Tennis series so it, at the very least it's an p- interesting piece of history at the very least it's the Star Fox 2 of Mario Tennis like Star Fox 2 was not that great but it was kind of a cool thing just to play a piece of history and if they're free in a streaming service it doesn't matter if they're that good it doesn't matter if they you know are subpar because like you're playing history you're not playing you're not paying money to be like oh is this the the pinnacle of the wario land experience no it's just like this crazy wario land you never have had a chance to play before so i i would really like for nintendo to do that um but i mean before we get ahead of ourselves we have to see what mario and zelda are like we have to see if that works um so i have the labo star kit you and i are gonna mess with it we're gonna play the shooter game we're gonna play mario and zelda once that hits and we'll be sharing impressions of all that next episode but this does segue nicely into a game you want to talk about this episode for our What We've Been Playing segment, which, um, you know, with all this talk of turning normal Switch games into VR, it's worth knowing that actually a decent number of VR games have come to Switch over the last however many months. Stuff like Battlezone, or in this case, um, Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes. Yeah, I finally got to play that after having it for such a long time. Mm-hmm. But we both first played it at E3. But now you've actually gotten to like yeah, yeah, dig with a, yeah, with a nice little group of people. Yeah. I played it with it was like five people, mm-hmm. and it was really fun. Definitely, I mean, you don't lose that much without the VR. Whoever just has the, I don't know, the switch just turns around, or it's just I mean, there really, actually there isn't even really anything that they can cheat with because essentially the person on the switch is defusing a bomb that has a bunch of different modules on it, and each module requires its own very specific way of getting diffused mm-hmm. and everyone else has a bomb manual pre- preferably on their electronic device or i guess you could print one out and i would just like grab the link and just share it with everyone else that's playing and then we all just focus on different parts of the manual like there's a module for example that requires you to follow very specific steps based on the word they give so they say the word on display is like Oh, no, like they say the they they have a number on the split that's like a four, and then mm-hmm. they read off the numbers on the bottom, and then you tell them, okay, all right, if you see a four, press the third button from the right. Okay, now what number do you see? Oh, I see a two. Okay, now press the first button, and then they say, okay, the next button is five. Okay, now press the first number that I told you, or the first number on the button that you pressed, and then that might be in a different position because you're looking at the number, not the position, and the last one might be press the third thing I told you to press or something like that. So there's a lot of teamwork, a lot of communication. Some of the modules are really tricky to figure out. Like there's a basic wire cutting one, but then there's a more advanced one where you have to look at a crazy looking Venn diagram and figure out like, okay, does your wire have three stripes? What color are the stripes? Does it have, what is that wire connected to from? Is it from going from a number to, I think like from one to a B or two to see or something like that. Right. It's pretty crazy. And the nice thing is that you can really adjust it to your difficulty. So, I mean, at some point there were some modules that we got really, really good at. Like there's like a maze where on the manual side, you see the walls of the maze and exactly how to get anywhere in the maze. But on the console side, you just see these dots that indicate, I guess, potential directions you could move. 
but you don't know if you can move there because there might be a wall there. So all you have to go by is telling your teammate, all right, I am four dots down, one over, and I want to get to three dots over, um, one down. And then the person has to figure out which map, I guess, which coordinate that lines up with. And then they go, all right, go two up, two left, two up again, two right, so on. Mm-hmm. And once you start getting better and better at some, you might defuse the modules like within a couple seconds. And even then, like starting off with three modules or even four is really, really hard. And it could go up to, I believe, 12. Oh, and 12 just sounds ridiculous. Like, yeah. And you can also adjust the time too. So if you're like a pro, I mean, with a group of people that literally know every single module, how to solve it inside and out, you could literally set it to like one minute and 12 modules. And even like as you're solving the puzzle, sometimes you have to rotate the the entire bomb itself because a password for something might require you to know whether it uses AA batteries or a giant C battery, if the serial code ends in an even number or an odd number, mm-hmm. if anything else is written on it. And every once in a while, sometimes like an obnoxiously loud alarm will go off and you can either wait it out or you can select the alarm and press a button on it. And the... I don't know. The bomb itself is pretty easy to control. You know, shoulder buttons to rotate it around, the analog sticks. It's pretty basic stuff. Really fun party game. We ended up playing it, I don't know, it was probably like 4 a.m. Wow. I mean, well, I mean, we were... When did you start? Um, Like around midnight. Wow. Okay. That's a... That right there is an endorsement. Yeah. I mean, we yeah, we played it for... We were pretty determined to, like, beat it. Yeah, to, right. to beat it. Yeah, it took us a while to beat it. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it was a fun night, but I would, I would, I would really, I, I would really recommend it. I don't know how much it costs though. Fifteen dollars. I looked it up. There you go. It's my job. I look up all the game prices. <laughs> yeah, for that price, that's pretty good. Yeah, like I enjoy my time at E three, but it sounds like it's way there's way more to it in the final form. Yeah, and that was just like the quote unquote like exhibition mode. So there are other modes. Yeah, I think there's like some like pre-made challenges that you could enter. Like mm. we we just made one where we just like created. All right, we want this many modules and we want yeah like this much time. Right, so, right. Yeah, I I do think it's cool that Switch is able to sort of re- I want to say recreate the VR experience, but it's like one of the few consoles that can sort of handle the VR experience without offering VR necessarily. Because like you know something like Keep Talking is very asymmetric gameplay which is very much a thing that VR is good for. And also, like, stuff, other games, you know, just the idea that you have this sort of little portable screen that can mirror the feel of VR where you can use, use like, a viewfinder, kind of like how, like, you were talking in an episode two ago about, like, the Google Street View app on Wii U, how that did that. Like, it's kind of cool that Switch can do that to kind of make its own pseudo-VR experiences or, like, allow for asymmetry for stuff like Keep Talking. Yeah, it's definitely not to play an asymmetrical game for once. Yeah. That was one of the great things about Wii U. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, like, a lot of this podcast actually is kind of rooted in the Wii U days. I mean, we we were at the tail... We, we started at the tail end of Wii. We went through all of Wii U, and now we're on to Switch. Um, yeah, it's, it's been it's been a ride. It's been fun. Like, I, I, we promised at some point we are going to reminisce about the, the 200 episodes. I think we're at that point. It, it has it has been a fun ride. Like, it's it's been cool, at least from my perspective. Like, Keep Talking's an indie game. We talk a lot about indie games. We talked about a bunch of them last episode. It's been cool, like, to watch the indie scene grow. Like, we've kind of been, like, indie adjacent or, like, very loosely connected. And to see it go from barely being a thing 
to being like such a driving force of Nintendo's platforms now and like Nindies are like such a huge thing like there's million sellers and it's the they're doing best on Nintendo and before it was like only this really like ragtag band of companies that felt comfortable trying it like it's been cool to be like there for that and in some cases even being able to signal boost some of those smaller titles I mean not by much we're not the biggest podcast but you know companies again opportunities to try their games to review their games it's been it's been fun it's it's kind of a neat little like I would say we didn't obviously facilitate any of the growth of the indie scene but we got to like kind of just participate partake and that was, that was fun that's kind of cool that's not you know I don't think when we got into this we thought that like there'd be a cottage industry that blows up and we'd be sort of like like holding on to the rocket ship from the outside but that's kind of what we did isn't yeah it? it's comfy so there's a lot of games I probably would have never tried out if it wasn't for the podcast yeah I can't like for me Such like events that I wouldn't have gone to so. right yeah like for me like thought to go to like uh, Cluster Truck was kind of a cool game to try. That was I never would have played that, but it's basically an endless runner turned on Z axis. I like that. There's that game Light Spear we played a few years ago, which uh, I don't even know how to describe. It. It's like you're throwing spears, but like it's, yeah, it's like a javelin side scroller game, but it's pretty fun. And you know, just recently we were talking about Rico the shooter, which definitely want to check that. But it's a really fun co-op shooter. Or like yeah, Just Hits and Beats is definitely my favorite. Yeah, from all the ones we tried because that one. I remember seeing the trailer on the Nindies Direct showcase and mm-hmm. thinking like, all right, it, I mean, it looks it looks cool, but I was kind of like, all right, I don't, I don't need any more games right now. But then when yeah. we played it, it was like, whoa, I really need this game. Yeah, I think both of us, we played it where it's like, yep, buying this. And then like even, you know, um, to go back a little, uh, well, actually, first, I also want to mention Garnets Between as my pick for indie game last year. That was another copy that just kind of, I didn't know much about. It fell in my lap. And yeah, it's a really cool, like, nostalgic puzzle platformer thing but um if you go all the way back i think our very first review game review copy we ever received i want to say it was armillo on wii u do you remember armillo that the armadillo game? yeah so that was like wii u yeah that was like way early on and it was um it was like marble madness or monkey ball i think i described it at the time like marble madness or monkey ball meets like mario galaxy but with like the spin dash from sonic Kind yeah. of tossed in as well and it was fun like it, it was fun it was it was um you know it's not so it's more like a collect-a-thon from what i remember like um like 90 style collect-a-thon but like a manageable amount of collect-a-thoning and it was cool because it was it was it had you know like the song spin dash and stuff but it wasn't like really about combat it was about just like zigzagging through these mazes and collecting things and they're kind of these like tetris sphere if everyone's if anyone's played that 3d Tetris game is like that sort of like globe that you're navigating. It was cool. It was different. It's definitely one of those games that makes you think like, whoa, like there's still a lot of, poten- I mean, there's like so much untapped potential with like indie games. Yeah, yeah, and it, you would never see with AAA. Yeah, to see it go from like something like Carmelo and all that, like going to Nintendo. Nintendo, Nintendo is kind of weird sometimes. Nintendo's very weird sometimes. Yeah, like Captain Toad being like a side thing in Mario 3D World, and then launching and it that in, and, and that in itself feels like something like an indie would come. I mean, it's, oh totally, it, yeah. it's pretty much like a 3D version of Fez, I guess, but. Yeah, essentially. Well, I actually, I guess not really. Fez is just the closest thing I could think of, just because of the whole rotating thing. I mean, rotating is a huge part of Captain Toad because you have to find all the, the hidden things by rotating the stage. It's yeah, very similar, so it's in, similar in a surface. But level. Fez also kind of reminds me of like Monument Valley because that one is like things right. you wouldn't normally be able to jump on become jumpable when you rotate it a certain way. Right, right. Like also like an MC Escher sort of situation. Yeah, yeah. But it, it, yeah, it's been kind of cool to see stuff growing. Just, and you mentioned events like. We've been fortunate to get to attend a bunch of different events and have There's a bunch of like random like Nintendo mall tours. That, I mean, 
Did we mall go- tours, I would go to either way. Yeah, I, I, I want to say we went to them before. I made it a point to go to every single one on opening day of the mall tour up until a year or two ago when I realized that. So they used to have really elaborate mall tours. They used to have like like one year it was a giant Wii U logo. Like the booth was a Wii U logo. You look at one of the, the ceiling. That was cool. Yeah, we went to that Airstream. Yeah, but that was before we did the podcast, I think. I think it was right before. But um, yeah, like one booth looked like a Wii U. They had an Air, Airstream out here. They they used to do things at their summer and winter tours where they would like recreate environments. It's like, oh, you're playing a Yoshi game? Sit in this egg chair next to a giant smiling flower with Yoshi. Or like, oh, you're playing a Kirby game? Here's a massive Kirby that's just going to stare at you while you play. Uh, now it's just kind of like, here's a big screen TV on a on a temporary wall. And we painted the wall in Mario colors. So it's a little less exciting. But they used to get really elaborate. They used to be almost like little playgrounds. And those were always kind of fun to go to. And I wouldn't feel the need to go, though, if I wasn't covering for the podcast. Definitely E3. E3, yeah, especially this year. I don't know if I announced it on the podcast. We, I mean, it's a big deal to me because... You made it in? I made it in. Um, Unfortunately, they only gave us one because I think we're still a little too small. But, like, since... I don't know how many people listening know the backstory around town, but I've run this site in some capacity since high school. Really since middle school in some ways. And it used to be, like, a daily news site. And then during college, I took a break because I wanted to have a life. What a crazy concept! But then after college, we've been doing a podcast since. And since the high school days, my my like, um, not mantra, but my thinking was, we made it if we get into E three. We made it if we're press. And granted, E three is not what it was. It's uh, Sony's not even there this year, so there's probably not as many. You know, it might be much easier to get in. I don't know. But nonetheless, the goal I set out for when I was like fourteen, it happened. Grand Nintendo is going to E3 as press, and that's super cool. And likewise, we've gotten to do the indie mixes year after year, and those are really fun where you get to go hang out with indie developers, talk about the games, and then just play stuff. Like I remember one of the years we went, they had a 90 or 110-inch screen or something like that, and there was just Gang Beast playing on it. And Gang Beast is a super fun multiplayer game, and a huge crowd was forming all these developers and other press and industry, and we're all just hanging out playing Gang Beast. And I'm not trying to like toot our own horn, like, look at all these cool experiences we had. But Rumbo was cool, I guess. Rumbo, yeah. Yeah, wait, what? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I want to play Rumbo with all these people. Yeah, yeah, that was super fun. Um, you know, even things like one thing that really stuck out to me is we, our friends at USAopoly, gave us a bunch of board games once uh, a year or two ago. Regular listeners might recall, but we uh, we got two sets. Uh, it was Zelda Clue, a Mario Kart game called Mario Power Up, uh, Super Mario Power Up, and then Mario Board Game called Super Mario Level Up. One set we got a review, one set we gave away to a listener. But what's crazy is, like, to this day, we have a group of friends, like your sister and your brother-in-law and, like, that whole group that we hang out with. We still play those games with them. We still play Zelda Clue. We still, a lot, surprisingly, play Mario Level Up. Yeah, that ended up being it's, one it of the favorites. It ended up being a huge hit, yeah. And it's just, like, all these things are through the podcast. And it's not to be, like, super braggadocious because, like, I mean, I could keep going. Like, we got an interview with Zelda voice actor once. That was cool. Written interview, but still got to work with Nintendo directly. That was really fun. The point I, I think we're trying to get at with this is in these seven <laughs> Aren't and a half, I better than you are? Yeah, no, it's that we're superior to you in every way. And that, no, not at all. The point I'm trying to get at here is like we've been at this for seven and a half years. We've done 200 episodes. And the thing that is keeping us going, the thing that makes it all possible is there are people on the other end of this recording. There are people on the other end of when I publish something on the site or you write something for the site or I put photos on the site or what have you or I make a banner or, you know, I go and creepily try not to take pictures of children at an event that's Nintendo clearly designed for children but I just want to show you how cool the event looks without the children like all that 
we're doing it because there's someone there receiving it. There's someone there that's into it. There's someone there that's listening to us, reading us, watching us, other verbing us that I can't think of. Like it's really cool. And the fact that we've been doing this for so long and have people still sticking with us, and we have people who like seem as far as I can tell to genuinely enjoy us. I I could be wrong. Like there there was an E three where I met a couple of you in person and it was really cool that like it's also really weird. I'm gonna be honest. When you meet someone that you hear talk of, like if I meet someone that I've heard talk for two hundred episodes or twenty episodes or two episodes, I know more about them than they more know about me. So I'm I, I act more familiar towards them than they probably will act towards me. And I found that when I'm on the other end of that, it was kind of funny because they'd be like, you know, I'd make a reference and be like, oh yeah, yeah, I talked about the podcast, da da da, and they're like my best bud, but I've never interacted with them. But because they listen to us for so long, they just kind of naturally are like more like, oh yeah, I know you, I've known you forever. It's like I never met you, but so you know what I mean? Like it's like you're in like one mindset of like, oh, I'm meeting someone new, and they're just like, oh yeah, this guy's cool, I know him. It's like totally different wavelengths, but it's fun. It's cool to meet you guys. And the point I was getting at is all this stuff is because there are people on the other end and it is very much appreciated. And we wouldn't be doing this if there was no one there. So so thank you to you guys for 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 uh, allowing us to do it. Not really allowing us, but for, for making this worth it. For giving us... You, you don't really have a platform if there's no one there at the platform. I mean, I guess you could. It's like a tree falling in the woods. It doesn't make a sound. So it, it, it is appreciated. It's very much appreciated. And to show that appreciation... Um, well, actually, there any, is there anything you want to say? Before um, I... I pretty much cover all the bases. So just thank you very much. So to show that appreciation... To show I mean, yeah, you, that you, you, you literally covered it. I know, I know. I, I kind of... I get very excited about the fact that, like, we have this 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 whole thing your Grand pants. Nintendo is nah I'm not keeping it in my pants that's the whole point we have this whole thing um, like Grand Nintendo for me has been such a, it's weird because it's been like such a big part of like who I am for so long that like if in some obviously one day this thing's gonna end who knows when but we're not gonna be doing this when we're 80 um, and, episode 201 what? oh it ends at episode 201 so fun fact it ends right now no but um Whenever it ends, it's gonna be weird because there's gonna be like a piece of me missing almost because it's like so it's been so core to me since I was like a kid, basically. But we'll worry about that then. The point I'm getting at is we want to say thank you to you guys for being there with us along the way, for supporting us, for writing reviews of us on iTunes, rating us on iTunes. If you haven't yet done that, by the way, that that actually helps us a lot. So if you could give us a little shout out on uh, Apple Podcasts, as it's now called, much appreciated. But no, we do want to say thank you by doing a contest. So to that end, um, I mentioned at the top of the show that there are as many episodes of the Random Nintendo Podcast as there are micro games in the original WarioWare. So if you would like to win one of two different $20 eShop gift cards, we are going to give away two separate ones to two different winners. Here's what you need to do. Tell us your favorite WarioWare micro game. That's it. You can describe it in a sentence. You can literally just say the command that the game says. If you want to specify which warrior where it's from, that would be cool too. But I was trying to think of what is the most random contest we could do for a thing called Random Nintendo. And I think just having you pick the, the favorite thing from the most random Nintendo game in the most random way that has nothing to do with the podcast is probably the most random Nintendo thing we could have ever done. So that's why Whoa. you can go leave a comment at randomtow.com on blog on the blog post for episode 200 looking to the future and tell us your favorite WarioWare micro game and you can win 20 bucks it's that simple that's all it is so um, once you do enter 
you probably want to follow and subscribe to us so you can hear the winner announcement in our next episode. That next episode will arrive on April 28th, I believe. Dramatic pause while I check the calendar. I think it's April 28th. I can't stop talking because dead air is bad. No, 26th is the uh, oh, Friday. Yeah, 28th. The 28th, okay. Um, yeah, it, that's going to be a pretty good episode, to be honest. Um, it, like, I mean, let me rephrase. If I do say so myself, two weeks in advance, that's going to be a pretty good episode because uh, Nintendo's financials for uh, the fiscal year end will be out. So we're not just going to have new numbers to talk about, about how Switch is doing as a whole and what's happening next but there could be some news from the corresponding briefing like maybe they're going to talk about that new switch hardware we speculated on or new vr plans or maybe finally mario kart tour like where is mario kart tour we should be knowing about mario kart tour by now so who knows uh plus we're gonna have those labo vr impressions i mentioned a little while ago and uh like uh, just to reiterate we're gonna have our winners so you better enter but um the easiest way to make sure you stay on top of that is you could follow us at Remintendo on Twitter. You could subscribe, and if you wish to review uh, us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, YouTube. Our channel is Remintendo.com. You could follow us individually. I am JSR7, and I say lots of random things on Twitter. He is Wero, W-E-I-R-O underscore O, and he says fewer random things on Twitter. Um, yeah, that pretty much does it. Well, like I said, we'll be back in two weeks' time. Thank you so much for helping us get to 200. Damn, um, 200. Yeah, 200. And I think I think really the only way we can end this is the same way we started, and that's with an air horn. The problem is I don't have the app open, so now I'm buying a little time while I open it. Okay. And look at that. We're actually at exactly 200 on the, t- on the clock, so that's 200, our episode milestone. We did it, guys. Here's your air horn. We'll see you in two weeks. <laughs>